0: <laughs>
1: Welcome to the Flick Lab.
0: What the hell was that? Like, <laughs> like honestly. <laughs>
1: that was the bar song, goddammit. You must remember. Dirty love. Did it? Okay.
0: And then never, never, ever, ever, ever do that one again. <laughs> that, that was absolutely hideous. And I did okay okay that The Promised Land opening soundbite gag, which you proposed. You've got a good voice, man. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, but since Tom is is back with us, I I guess everybody cares that it's once again 007 episode.
1: Franklin. Tom Franklin. Yeah. yeah. Cucumber sandwich. Afternoon tea. Welcome back. Can't wait to get this party started. Alright, so uh, Bond's license here may have been revoked, but our license to podcast is still intact.
0: Or, or or then not. Or then not. Because Americans were apparently too stupid to understand what the fuck means revoked.
1: That, or they decided that the words together, the license revoked, is that they have too many associations for driving when they hear the word revoked. So I've heard two versions of this. Anyway, the decision was MGMs.
0: Yeah, I, I, I'm going to take the... Production teams, side here and simply count in the or, or simply read it as shots that MGM did, did not have enough faith in the American audiences.
1: Well, <clears throat> license revoked has the problem as the original name that it also doesn't tell what the hell is being revoked. Well, was it was it your driving's license or your human rights? Or...
0: <laughs> yeah, well, well, the same same problem goes for for the license to kill. Because most throughout the film, Bond does not have his license to kill. Like, it's it's most definitely license not to kill.
1: Kind of logically wise, the revoked makes more sense. But uh, then when you think about it, license to kill, it can also refer to the whole adventure that starts and is related to his license to kill, which he loses.
0: But it really isn't that much in, in the end. His, his whole kill license is kind of a background noise throughout the film. It does play a small aspect. The story mostly in the third act when when Q shows up and has to kind of be unofficially helping Bond since, since the MI6 is not this time covering Bond's back. But other than that, the whole license thing really does not play out that much.
2: Tom, your thoughts? You know, whether Bond has a license or not, he still kills anyway. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Rogue to kill. Um, it doesn't really matter whether he has a license to kill because he just kills anywhere
1: so it goes okay so License to Kill second film by Dalton in the Bondosphere the most daring move for Bond since the release of Doctor No proclaimed the official License to Kill DVD, Blu-ray blah 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 documentary so even harder edged Bond than before in The Living Daylights it suited Timothy Dalton or did it?
0: Well, it did It, it did not suit the franchise, which went into hibernation for quite some, t- some time.
1: Not sure if these are really related. The fact is that there was a lot of competition that summer for License to Kill, which we can get to later, but th- there was Ghostbusters 2 and whatever else, like four other films during the summer, so it might have been kind of choked.
0: When, when it comes to to License, uh, the complaint I I have run across numerous times is that people feel that License to Kill is is too dark and too violent. And the fact that it's not really even a spy thriller. License to Kill is very kind of a low edge, down to the ground revenge fl- flick. Which is something that basically every other franchise and every other action star also could do. Like my my friend got killed by or got got mauled by a truck boss. That's something that that is a kind of a go-to plot for Schwarzenegger or, or Stallone or Van Dam or any other big-name action star or even not that great action star. And in in that sense, it it, it it's kind of a, it's a, it's a plot structure that really does not scream out 007.
1: You're kind of right include the plot and then include the Timothy Dalton's performance as Bond, which is this kind of a realistic style, he's very pissed off type of acting. Well, there's a lot of range throughout the film, so in that way it's fitting Timothy Dalton but, well, we can we will definitely get to this, but there is there is a lot of range, but I felt that Timothy Dalton could have been smiling a little bit more in this film, or be a little bit more jokey. But let's see, let's do a full analysis, baby.
3: Yeah.
2: I really liked it. I thought it was fantastic. Yeah,
1: same here. <laughs> okay, so they turn more more to the Ian Fleming type of James Bond, or that's what they say anyway. And what what makes you want to have a license to kill, Tom Henrik?
0: Well, basically every other random asshole I run across.
1: <laughs> yeah, like like your co-host.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> It it it's, it's you. your luck that that Tom is only a visiting guest, and I myself am not a member of MI6. <laughs> of course, you would say that, wouldn't you?
2: Or maybe you are a member of MI6. Oh. I,
0: I, I guess I'm lacking a nationality.
2: You would um, have to be
0: a born British citizen
2: to be qualified. I don't think so. I think Bond gets quite a lot of help from foreign countries. He, yeah. he
0: he does he does, but he does get it in in form of. Either a governmental help, like a foreign intelligence agency or foreign government is helping MI6 and and because of this they are helping Bond, or then through some kind of a freelance consultant.
2: If a member of the Taliban can help Bond, I'm sure a Finnish person <laughs> can help Bond.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, that's nice. It was a very timely film, in a sense like The live in daylight, so it's once again dealing with drugs. Guys... You didn't tell me last time which one is your favorite. Don't tell me. Don't shut up. Uh, sorry. Uh, so tell me at the end of this episode. Uh, I think we're gonna have the full analysis. We were going to do like the best and the worst Bond films from each actor. So I guess we will see which one was the best and
2: the worst. This is kind of a hard question.
0: It, it yeah, with Dalton, it's Dalton is is the actor from whose Bond film, uh, filmography it
2: is the hardest call because. I'm a massive fan of Dalton.
0: Okay,
1: I wasn't quite expecting. I was going to be expecting maybe a little less excitement for this film than you probably had before watching the film, if that makes sense. Or not. But I was expecting a lot of (laughs) License to Kill fanboyism for this episode. Okay, License to Kill. They began reworking this Bond 15 script for some License to Kill early treatment. Went to China, looked for original locations... But it uh, didn't work out. Yeah, the team had already talked about the chase sequence along the Great Wall and fight scenes amongst the Terracotta Army. And The plot outlines were also made about a drug lord in the Golden Triangle of the Southeast Asia. And one of the early treatments also has Bond and Leiter joining a U.S. Army commando team to raid the Central American compound of Klaus Sanchez. And then it carries pretty much on as we know it in the film. Pam is also called... By everyone as Pambo, because of her tough, masculine ways, and she was supposed to be a very buff. Actually, kind of like a, uh, the sister, sister of Rambo, or something like that. They didn't go with it, of course. But wow, letters from Pambo, the word, the name were used in her full name, Pam Bouvier, Pam Bo Uvier.
0: I, I kind of heard that that MGM did not. It eventually did not let, let the production the rights to actually take the film to China. Most likely, and this is this is only suspic- suspicions, but suspicions that have also been echoed by the production crew. The reason reasoning for that would have been the budgetary reasons and the, the, and the attempt to save money in production as much as possible.
1: Yep. So the original Bond 15 Treatments for the Living Daylights had a character called Betty Bedwell, and she is back also in the License to Kill Treatment now as somebody who is a Eurasian mistress for Sanchez. And Sanchez also tries to fake his own death by flying a plane to Buckingham Palace. And then Bond is wearing inside this plane fitted dentures matching sunset teeth. Like, oh my god, what (laughs) <laughs> these treatments are so weird however Bond pulls the plane up just in time Sanchez plans to have plastic surgery to disappear but uh, never gets to that point as he is captured and taken into prison Bond has sex with Betje Bedwell and Moneypenny at the end of the film tries to call him on behalf of M to say that all has been forgiven just like in the film but uh, Bond unhooks the phone and that's typical Bond
0: Yeah, Yeah. not giving a shit about the fact that does he still have his job back? And is he out of the possible MI6 kill list? Yeah,
1: (laughs) kind of reminds me of the For Your Eyes Only ending.
0: Kind of, yeah, now that you mention it.
1: So only post-production and song re-recording or sound re-recording were done at Pinewood. Yeah, they were mainly filming in Mexico. But they had some problems here, like Writer Guild of America went on strike, which meant that Richard Maybaum was mostly unavailable. This is uh, very much a Michael Wilson script. They were looking for some kind of a Manuel Noriega situation, where the government is run by a drug lord. Then, of course, we have the title song, which is from uh, Gladys Knight. Oh, fantastic
2: song. Oh, yeah, I have thoughts. Brilliant. (laughs) I really love this song. It's the Mm -hmm. best one of my faves as well. From start to finish, it's just genius.
3: Dirty love!
1: Not as genius as that.
2: Uh, stop, please. Oh.
1: <laughs> okay, well, carrying on. <laughs> Initially, Vic Rick and Eric Clapton were asked to perform the title song, but the producers killed it and went with Gladius Knight. Couldn't find this song. Would have been interesting. There's a lot of planned songs for Bond films out there on interwebs if you want to look for them. Hey, do you want to do a little bit of an exception and go completely nerdy here? So, Tom, do you have anything about the trailers?
2: Enticing.
1: Yeah. The main trailer starts off like a horror trailer with Michael Cayman's music. But then the Michael Cayman changes into the 1962 version of the James Bond tune in the middle of it, which I thought was goofy. I really like Michael Cayman's renditions of the Uh, James Bond tune here. At least the trailers are starting to be now a little bit more mature, composed, uh, like more seriously taken. But there could be a lot to be said about the trailers of these days. I mean, they are so by by the numbers that I really start to hate each and every trailer that comes out nowadays. Teaser trailer, it's kind of silly the use of Dalton there with his uh, switching beeping things on his weird timer. Although, funny thing is Dalton kind of makes it seem serious business since the guy can act. It has some kind of a demo sound effects in the background and uh, pretty good lines, like How many times can a man take your breath away? When you get on his bad side, your number is up. Sounds actually like Don LaFontaine, the famous trailer, dude. It started off sounding kind of sexual. (laughs) Yeah, there there was severe pressure on the budget to keep it down, they didn't want to leave Pine Wood, but they did. Actually, went to Mexico to see if they could save in the budget. Budget eventually was thirty-two million dollars. Still, studio was in shit condition. It was raining through the freaking floor. Cost, yeah. So they had to make a lot of arrangements, and I don't know how cost-effective this was than fixing everything in the studio. Would it be scene by scene?
0: Yeah. Why not?
1: Yep. Yep. Nope. Yeah, Because yep. I'm wondering if yep. we have to.
0: No, no, we don't. No, we, we can sim- simply quickly jump to the quickies. Skip the scene by scene.
2: Oh. Yeah, we need more. Much more. Much more. more. Uh,
1: okay. Music. Michael Kamen. Uh, John Barry was not available due to throat surgery. But he never actually returned to the franchise after The Living Daylights. So Michael Kamen was chosen to do it. Glenn. The director picked him, thinking he could do the closest job to John Barry, which is really funny because they sound nothing. They are completely different. But then again, they have some instruments there that kind of sound similar. It's kind of in the same spirit, but still, still completely different. Less bombastic, huge. And uh, of course, he's very much known for also the lethal weapon and uh, Die Hard. Yeah. What do you think about this gun barrel? I think it's one of my total all-time favorites uh, because of this music provided by Kamen. It was fantastic,
2: just really, really fantastic, <laughs> just, just the best, the, just, just, just the best gun barrel ever. I mean, just one perfect. of the best ever created. Yeah, perfect, fantastic. Yeah,
0: I, I, I I'm, I'm sensing some sarcasm here. Uh, no, unbelievable, amazing, <laughs> stupendous. It's just superb, brilliance. Okay. something that really is breaking new ground with the gun barrel is the fact that after Bond shoots the bullet through the gun barrel or right at the audience usually it then turns into a white ball of light that Mm. hovers down to the right side right lower side of the screen and here it actually appears and stays In the middle, and the image kind of comes from the middle of the screen once the film starts properly.
1: True, true. Somebody's getting an expert with the gun barrels.
2: It really was good.
1: In the early days, I think they used more of that, that it would just turn into a white ball, and then it would just kind of change immediately to the film itself. Gift from God. Fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) And also, this, according to one technician, this is the first... Digitally composited gun barrel. All right, so we have some kind of observation room for the DEA or something like that. We hear Michael Wilson, producer at the time, and he, you know, he always had, for a long time now, his cameos in the Bond franchise. Was it since The Spy Who Loved Me or something like that? And here he's having a voice cameo at the moment. He says this, I hope they can still get the bastard. Fantastic. Then we get to the Seven Mile Bridge. So This was filmed in Florida Key West, where they shot a lot of the first half of the film. Now, you sure you got the ring? Relax, Felix. Felix is getting married. Yeah,
0: and and, uh, as a wedding gift to Felix, DAA is going to ruin his wedding. Yeah. (coughs) Good
2: friends and all that. Explain to Tella. I mean, he's already the shittiest husband. I mean, he's just left on a job on his wedding day.
0: Yeah, yeah, but, but he's he's, got, he's sending his black henchman to explain the situation to his wife, <clears throat> or, or soon-to-be wife.
2: Oh, that's okay then.
1: We have David Hedison returning as Felix Slider. My goodness. Yeah, obviously played the same role alongside Roger Moore much more in Live and Let Die. Acted also in The Fly in the 1958 film, and also was with much more in the Saint TV series. Way more. Scenes are beautiful in August of 1988, regardless of the fact that it was raining every day at that time of the year. They had to stop shooting shooting around 4 p.m. every time. Really? Yeah, Yeah, it
0: it, it rained like clockwork every single day at 4 Mm. p.m.
1: Precipitation. (laughs) Precipitation was going on. Our returning guest, precipitation. Felix Leiter wants Timothy Dalton. Strictly as an observer. Because Sanchez is in the Bahamas and Felix wants to go catch the bastard. And Bond joins. Yeah guys. Alright. Wasn't this an amazing scene with the helicopter and uh, Felix Leiter and Bond handing him the ring?
2: It sure was. It was it was a really fun scene. It was amazing. And whilst I wouldn't say it was straying into the realm of science fiction, it was kind of far fetched, you it's know. Mine, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, this doesn't seem very likely. Nevertheless, it was quite fun to watch. Yeah. But anyway, as far as I'm concerned, one of the
1: greatest moments for me in the cinema history. Really? Yeah,
2: I thought it was really,
1: really, really fantastic.
2: The best ever. Or.
0: Well, if nothing else, it at least it's very complicated stunt work at play here.
2: Yeah. That's true. True.
1: But, but Henrik, you know what? Here we have uh, <clears throat> Dario Benicio del Toro.
0: Who looks so goddamn young.
1: Honeymoon. 22 at the time. The youngest member of the entire actor group.
0: Yep. you 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 look at him you look at Beno here in here in license to kill and then you look at his later films and you can just ask yourself what the hell actually happened
1: I agree because yeah his face is so rugged later on like Yep, has seen a hell of a lot of life
0: <laughs> yep not, not, not to not to like give, give the image that it's a bad thing not at all but it's it the, the constr- contrast to the license to kill. Babyface Benicio is is really remarkable. Yeah.
2: I could be wrong, but didn't he play Che Guevara in um in the film? He he did
0: in that that two-parter.
2: Yeah, looks like it. Yeah.
1: Yeah, Benicio Benicio del Toro went in and didn't think his audition was that good, so he walked back and said, "Let me do it again." He did it again and John Glenn said that he he was kind of a really fresh face at the time, which he, of course, was. Kind of up to the minute in his performance and kind of laid back. Quote, real menace in a quirky sort of way. Agreed. And he's kind of a good-looking bastard, too. Oh, my God, yes. Isn't he ever? Actually, like, nobody gives a flying damnation, but probably one of my first oh. <coughs>
2: crushes. <coughs> and that doesn't surprise me, because, in fact... He doesn't look too good now, because he's now kind of old, but... (laughs) I mean, the only thing wrong with him in the film is his tooth. He has, like, a silver tooth.
1: Nobody was asking you, Gringo.
2: Yeah, but this was a prop that was uh, especially
1: given for him for this role. I think it's kind of of a good idea. Fits, Fits the guy.
2: More. Way more. Much more. No, way more.
1: Yeah, what did he promise? His heart. Give him his heart. So this is actually the first scene that was shot when they started filming. July 18th, 88, in the studios Churubusco Stage 2. And uh, Davi reckoned that ripping a guy's heart was a strong entry and a romantic gesture. <laughs> and, uh, Davi also got fan mail that somebody enjoyed this whipping sequence very much. Ooh.
0: Mm. Yeah, uh, apparently this, the Talisa Sato spanking scene is something that that ringed very true and, and was appreciated by the
2: PDSM community. It's more than spanking, it's just outright violence.
0: Well, th- th- then again, then again, it's it's not the first time that this this has been, or, or, or things like this has happened in in Bond films. Yeah, true. But, but this most definitely is the first time when you are supposed to, as an audience member, you're supposed to go against your kind of a franchise conditioning and now be aghast by it.
1: Here we get naturally to the cuts of the film, because this was quite heavily censored in television around the world. We can concentrate on the UK at the moment. Uh, BBFC, the authority in the UK, called Heavy Cuts, asked 36 seconds to be removed from the film. That is a lot of film. And it was only in 2006 when the Ultimate Edition DVD was released... That it was finally without cuts. And there wasn't much of a fanfare. It wasn't like said in the cover as far as I remember. It was just a release. And now it was without cuts. And uh, it's still the only uh, Bond film rated 15 by the BBFC. I think today the audience would probably not care. And not even the BBFC. Anyway. These cuts involve about 7 different scenes. There's the whip scene. It was cut so that the actual whipping is not there. You just cut to Talisa Soto's sad face and then it goes to the car shot, which comes next. Then there is a sound effect, which is softened when Killifer hits the guy on the head with the end of the rifle inside the truck. So in the censored version, it's something like... And then in the actual version, it's like... Small differences. Then there is the shark scene, of course. Really shittily recut in the UK version. Like It's just putting them in a pretty weird order. The last shot that we get of Felix is when he's rolling when the fish is shark is taking control and then you got to the shot where Sanchez is just uh, giving the hand wave signal that we can get him back up. So it's shorter, it's messy. Then we have a death of Lottie. Lottie is the ninja woman in the later parts of the film who gets uh, shot by Heller I believe. Then there is Crest's death. It has the difference that in the uncut version, <clears throat> you don't see the he- actual head exploding. and the normal version, it explodes on your face. The- then there is Dario's death, the part of where he goes for the final death cry. It's removed, so it's a little bit shortened. To make it as short as possible. And same logic applies to Sanchez's death. The flamey Sanchez shots are kept as short is- as is possible. And then I believe there is also Heller's death cut in some way but I don't know what they did with that well when it comes to the finish cuts the only cut that I can remember definitely being there was the the exploding head of crest so it would show the expanding head but it would cut to Perez one of the bad guys when it actually explodes yeah
0: but but, all the cuts are somewhat surprising seeing how most of the violence in the film in the end is not that graphic and quite often it's implied. Like, you... Yeah. you. For, for example, to, to give the most obvious example, w- would be the Felix Leiter shark scene, which, of course, when you, when you see it, you understand what's happening, and what's happening is pretty damn horrifying, but you still don't... In the end, you don't see actually that much. You don't. Maybe
1: it was a combination of things that they censored this a little bit, because perhaps the censors were prepared for something softer and what they watched that night was not up to their expectation
0: but but something that may have played out with, with the censors might might be the reprisal of the of the alfred hitchcock psycho situation where once again the actual short film is not that graphic and does not does not show you that much like hard violence on the on the screen but because of how, how the images play out and the implications that the audience carries with, with it, when, when they see the scene, they kind of start to insert these more graphic and more violent scenes or or frames in their mind into the film.
1: Henrik, any words about Robert Davi?
0: Well, wh- what about Robert Davi? He has been in that action movie that you have seen. Yeah. Like, if 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 you have watched your shared number of action movies, Robert Davi has been there because the dude has pretty much like he has uh, acted with with Schwarzenegger and and with 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 Bruce Willis with with Sylvester Stallone. He has done adventure comedies like The Goonies. So most likely, if if you watch action movies, you are familiar with Robert Davi.
1: Yeah, of course, uh, everybody remembers him from Die Hard as well. Even though not a big role, but uh, effective policeman. He also plays Jake in The Goonies. And will actually re- re- reprise that role in The Goonies 2, which is now announced. There was Expendables 3 playing Goran Vata. Uh, also, you can hear his voice in the GTA Vice City, actually. And he was in Predator 2 as Captain Phil
0: Heidemann. And, and most notably he was in Maniac Cop 3, Badge of Silence.
1: We're picking the quality productions. <laughs> what about Benicio Del Toro's shit list?
0: The same goddamn situation as, as with R- Robert Davi. Except Benicio has landed maybe more appreciated Academy Awarded films. Like for example the Sicario movies and the and the Usual Suspects and Traffic, all which have been very much critically acclaimed movies. unlike, for example, Robert Davi's Schwarzenegger Corporation Raw Deal, which is just just a, a kind of a B action movie, nobody remembers it.
1: Yeah. From the higher end, you have Rosario oh, Traffic, Sin City, the Usual Suspects, yeah, Guardian
0: of the Galaxy, 21 Grams. Um, but that, that's kind of the running theme we, we, with the male actors of License to Kill. Pretty much all, all, all of the, the male cast managed to have a really long lasting and quite good careers. Like, like a lot of lot of films and a lot of roles that are kind of iconic and and roles that you immediately remember once you hear who that actor was in any given film. To, to to give give you the kind of most, like to really highlight this point, there is Frank McRae, who plays Sharky in this film, and appears only in handful of scenes, be, being kind of a second-hand henchman helper to Timothy Dalton's pawn. Does not do that much in the film, but the dude still managed to have a role where he appeared in Loaded Weapon 1, or was... Was Schwarzenegger's boss, Police Commissioner Decker, in the last action hero? So roles and films you most definitely are familiar with.
1: Yeah, but overall, I would say that not many of these people who who gave their gave their contributions for the film had promising careers. I, I don't know.
0: I I would say that only goes to the woman of the of the film. Yeah, typical. Tal- Tali Soto and Carrie Lovell who both, for the dance part, and this is a bit, bit unfair for them, because they both did try. Like, my God, did the, did the two ladies of the film really try to have a careers after License to Kill? Talisa Soto went on and did the Mortal Kombat films. He, he was kind of the leading Femme Fatale in, in Spy Hard. Mm. And it, like like there, there were these these real attempts to hit more more mainstream more blockbuster oh, films, which would give her more prominent role in in Hollywood. Well, that really did really didn't pan out. And well well same goes with with Park. Carrie Lowell, who uh, uh, after this one appeared in Sleepless in Seattle, worked with, with Friedkin in in the Guardian, and in, in the end he, she works as as like a bank teller in in leaving Las Vegas. Yeah. So w- w- once again, real directors, real films, and still not 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 that highlight Hollywood career for her.
1: Gunfight. So this is a little bit of a different uh, pre-title opening sequence because there is no beautiful woman to conquer this time or any of the other cliches really in the pre-title sequence except uh, lavish action. Bond jumps uh, from the helicopter. Interestingly, nobody's shooting at him until he lands from the helicopter. And just before he jumps to the ground... You can actually see the baddie is shooting, but there is no gun sound. Mm. Hey, Observer! And Talis Soto is there playing Lupe. And uh, some. this is now kind of a lady who doesn't want Bond's help for a change. So definitely to a different path right off the gate. Just says to take your hands off me. Just go away. Would never happen in a Roger
2: Moore film. Much more.
0: Kind of never actually happened Happened after the Dalton's era. In in the franchise altogether. Now there is a huge mm. fuss because reportedly Uh-oh. in w- what is the la- latest one? No time, no to time, die. time to die. Too busy to die. So, something like that. <laughs> Apparently there is similar type of scene, and the internet has once again gone ap- ape shit.
1: Okay, that's funny. Yeah, Phoebe Waller Bridge is going to be one of the so-called script polishers this time. There was a publisher definitely for Casino Royale, and now we have this kind of the same thing going on. And there is a huge fuss because Waller-Bridge is known for kind of writing very, like, equal characters. Like, you have female actors, characters who have actually brain, as well as the Bond and the other characters. So it's going to be interesting to see if she indeed has, you know, given more brain, quality, and character for the female characters in Bond films. After all, there's only been one female writer before. Was it for From Russia With Love? There was a credit for Johanna Harwood? Um, So it's interesting to see if they just create better characters or is it going to be some kind of overdone uh, uh, social justice kind of uh, approach? Because there is also these reports. I don't know how much I should think about them. But one of the leading actors, I forgot her name, the black black woman, told in an interview that they had even been throwing around, she had been throwing around ideas for Waller Bridge that, hey, maybe we could go like this, that in one scene, my character uh, puts a new tampon on and then throws the old tampon away to the to the garbage. Uh, yeah.
0: Yeah, I, I, I don't know what the big fuss is once again supposed to be.
1: Well, because... Th- that's
0: really, like, that's what... Five seconds of freedom at max in in once again in a movie that that goes over two hours. Sure, but why? I, I I don't I don't think that we are sha- uh, like breaking any walls here uh, or or I think going we are through, through any roof.
1: I think we are because why why it's kind of the same as putting like camera to a toilet and then watch James Bond. And that's what it's kind of equal to. So we don't need to know that. It's a private moment. Mm
0: sexy. I I, I don't know. I, I I don't feel this this level of of, of hostility in, in the end towards a moment that it's that is supposed to be pretty non meaningful. Like it, uh, exactly. Yeah. It's a, yeah. it's just so, so there why, to make why a statement. Why get, get your amps up about it? Because it's there to make
1: a statement. It's there not to be any kind of a quality in the film.
0: But then again, there again, film itself always is making statements, one way or the other. I mean, today's film, *License to Kill*, is very much making a statement about the necessity of war on drugs, and the, the whole kind of anti-drug hysteria that was sweeping through the West and and U.S. at the time. I, I mean, this film came out something like three months before Bush Jr. made that infamous. In here, I have a pack of crack cocaine, which was pulled out of the park right next to the White House speech, and the, and the whole slew of shitstorm, the whole 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 war that that started. So yeah, very very much state-making film, also.
1: Yeah, much more fitting than someone throwing tampons. But uh, okay, I
0: I I I once again once again. Since it really doesn't affect anything that much. Like five seconds. I I, I can't I, I can't master the strength to actually get my feelings hurt or, or feeling angry about five seconds.
1: No but nobody is saying that it's making me feel angry, but it's it's not needed in the story arc in any way. It's just there to make a statement that is not related actually to the film or any kind of a plot. It's just, you know, there, because you could actually make intelligent decisions in the film. I hope this is not going to be a scene in the film, and this was just an off-thrown remark.
0: It's, it's, it's one of those scenes which are supposed to kind of ground it more into the reality. Show everyday stuff, remind you how this is real, and enhance that illusion, or something like that. Let's move
1: on. <laughs> Plain scene. Uh, Timothy Dalton insisted that he wants to do his own stunts as much as possible, and they had a kind of a contraption where he was hanging maybe a few feet in the air. And uh, the plane that he was going to touch was, of course, on the ground, on some kind of a pedestal thing. But the actual, you know, high altitude job was done by a stunt. When a cubby uh, came to the scene, he was like horrified coming from his limo and his you know, cig- cigar in mouth and then checking out. You know, the stunt coordinator and checking out Dalton, he he was flying in the air and he was like, Oh my God, get this guy down. You can't hurt my leading star. So always taking a good care. Plane was on a gimbal rig. Dalton said about uh, his acting in the stunt parts or in the tougher parts that quote, If you believe it's me, it's me. If you can see it's me, it's me. The audience should just quite simply believe that the man, the character, the character they are watching, James Bond, does them. I agree. It was too obvious in the Roger Moore films who was doing the performance.
0: I I, I don't know. Like, I, I never actually figured out what the fuck Dowden was trying to say with that, that statement.
1: He was trying to say that the audience has to believe that James Bond is doing the actual stuff there.
0: Yeah. So is it calling out the somewhat obvious at-time stunt work in, in Roger Moore films, or is it putting the pressure on the audience, that when, when you are sitting on the bench, when you are watching the film, you should believe that that's me and that's James <laughs> Bond you are seeing on the screen?
1: Sounds far-fetched.
0: Well, I, I don't know. I, I mean, he doesn't make any obvious references to, to well, Roger Moore films. Like no film no, no. is actually called out. Roger Moore is not called out. His stuntmen are not called out. He's simply making a statement that like what he's saying. If if I can remember word by word, the audience should believe it's me.
1: Yeah, he's he's making a st- statement that it should be made as believable as possible. That's you know the the whole point.
3: I,
0: I, I know, I mean, that that's once again, that, that is a question of reading. Like, how you read that <laughs> statement. Yeah, okay. He, he doesn't word that out. He doesn't say that directly.
1: So, what do you think he's saying is he's just forcing the audience, like, Now, motherfucker, believe my movie, or I will sue you.
0: It actually could be what he's implying there. <laughs> hey, audience, remember to believe that it's me. Remember to believe that that is spawned. Okay,
1: they got a great entry for David Hedison. He landed from a crane in front of the church and they thought they could even get an even better shot so Glenn asked the crane driver to go a little bit faster and the next time he just smashed very harshly on the cement and it hurt like hell. And for the rest <laughs> of the filming he was limping all the, all through the film.
0: All, 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 all those 12 seconds which he actually needed to walk anywhere. Yeah, <laughs>
3: <Ouch>.
1: <laughs> Yeah, there, there were other problems that Edison faced as well. I mean, he was given the script on the same day that they started shooting, like maybe a couple of hours before they were about to shoot. And he felt always really bad about it, had, that he was not able to prepare properly because he was somewhere else and he was waiting to reserve, uh, receive the script. And then it was three Days before filming, two days, one days, one day, nothing happened, and then he had to go there, and uh, yeah, he got a copy from Barbara Broccoli, and there was at least one scene or some scenes that he said that he can definitely see how he was unprepared for the shooting. I can't tell which which scene that really is. I think he did a pretty good job. Well, title sequence, Morris Binder at it for the last time. The the man who famously put the uh, Vaseline on the Lens to hide women's private parts. Ooh. Yeah, the title sequences, they were always coming so late that there was no time to make changes to them. I think that was the whole plan of Binder. Don't touch my art. And this is definitely one of my favorite title sequences of the entire series because I finally feel that, that uh, this might be his best one. I think it has a very good composition and it uh, is very clear and seems to be that a lot of thought was put into this 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 time.
0: Well, in in technical sense, yeah. When it comes to motive or theme, I I really don't understand what the hell of the hell the title sequence is trying to do here. You're
1: referring probably to the ladies with these little dresses on.
0: I'm 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 referring to the whole Olympus camera theme. Like, why why is it is it supposed to clue us back, foreshadow that moment when Bond gets that? really goofy it's a camera it's just it's a sniper rifle signature weapon in the film no i also am not that interested about well about all, all these still shots of of women and and once again there's silhouettes that simply you know spin around to you mean this just is not that interesting visual wise
1: okay, I think it's a winner from my end. I didn't have a problem with the camera. I never thought that it would be related into the film very much in any way and it doesn't bother me also in any way but of course if you want to look at it well I just thought that it could it could be tied to the to the church somebody's taking photographs on the background if you want
0: it could be like it, it can be any. Of the things or it can be absolutely nothing with, with the opening title sequence Im- of images that the camera is is the running motif we, we are looking at photographs and and the shots of the of the camera are kind of the, they are the envelope or, or the the front and the back back end they are the bookings of the title sequence visuals and I never really saw what was the point with that. Like, what what are they they supposed to mean? Why why is why is the entire title sequence constantly going back into the, in the Olympus camera and in the in the photographs? Because the movie is not about is not about photography.
1: Never thought that it was a. It, I thought thought it was just a clever transition to the title sequence and back.
0: Yeah, I I, I kind of was missing a meaning. Like I, I, I wish there would have been more meaning in it. And I I wish that the, the visuals would have been kind of a more inventive, more not in, in technical sense, because, because in technical sense yeah there's a lot of things going on and in, in technical sense they, they are quite inventive but but in in what you are being shown as, as visuals and in meaning I would have kind of a, I, I wish they would have been more inventive. What about Tom? One of the best ever?
2: It's brilliant. Just yeah. brilliant. Uh, it's just fantastic. Yeah. That's all you need to say.
1: But Henrik, if you're looking for stunning visuals, you could also check out the License to Kill Gladys Knight music video.
2: And that is fantastic. That Yeah, that really is good.
1: That is so fucking 80s. Done by somebody's son in their garage. <laughs> But I mean, I, I kind of like the. It looked like a Goldeneye title sequence at times, with these girls dancing on small pedestals and coming through the iris. Oh God, so so eighties, a type of editing like it's like somebody using the uh, Windows Movie Maker.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that that's rough. That's rough. All right, shots fired.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and then we have Sanchez. And uh, 2 million for the best banana republic for today. Coast Guard is interrogating. It would be 936 years for Sanchez. But he says 2 million. 2 million US. Which is the new offer to get Sanchez out. And then uh, Kilifer goes, of course, like, God damn it. You think you're in some kind of a banana republic or something? Well, obviously. In the end,
0: he took it. Obviously. <laughs> yeah. they They actually do... Quite clever, paid and sweet here at this moment, because because when when Sanchez wo- works out the two million offer, the camera ex- actually takes a close up on on the black guard in the room and draws your attention to him, kind of a highlight, and, and his facial expressions, kind of a, implying you the image that that is the guy who is going to betray the whole operation and and spin out Sanchez and. In the end, it turns out that... No, that was guy was being completely honest here. From which we
1: get to meeting Pam. Lowell has a shorter hair. In the later parts of the film, she had to wear a wig for these office scenes. And Dalton says the line, I'll do anything for a woman with a knife. It comes very much with his own accent. The talk about of Silver Sanchez's law. This, we are introduced to the secret disc, which is held behind the pick of Della. Well, Della, Priscilla... Barnes. Anything anything about her? She's good looking. Okay. Uh, played Co- Gloria Sullivan in The Devil's Rejects by Rob Zombie and I don't
2: think there's many highlights here to say otherwise. Didn't you guys find the wedding kind of creepy? Yes, I did. Like Bondi's kissing the wife and stuff? Not that part. Oh, really?
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's the kiss the bride day. Killifero is also there only to kiss the bride.
2: Uh that's not how it works here.
1: You think? But if they're really, 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 really good friends.
2: It it doesn't matter. It's just kind of like it's just typical Bond, you know? Yeah. You know what it is? It's
3: dirty love.
1: <laughs> okay.
2: It sure is dirty. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't I don't know why um the bride flings the underwear at Bond either, which is also very creepy.
1: Yeah, because it's for the next one who is going to be married. But Bon says, "No, no, no."
2: Yeah,
0: pa- pa- passing the or throwing the bride's stocking is it? It's supposed to be some kind of a wedding tradition, like s- some way in, in the same way as throwing the flower bouquet. Mm. Never understood it. Never understood the bouquet. I, I have an inkling feeling that that's once again some kind of a tradition that has been at some point imported from America. But I, I'm I'm not 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 certain. I, I'm not a professional on weddings. Thank God. <clears throat> yeah.
1: But uh, this is a very important scene actually because it gives more reason for Timothy Dalton Bond to go on his revenge mission. Because it's not only about like killing Della and then... Uh, getting the leg cut off from, from Felix Leiter, but also his personal history with his own marriage. And now he kind of feels the same way. Those same feelings have, have returned.
2: A flashback.
1: Yeah, but before this, of course, uh, Ed Killifer has killified the truck and dropped it into the ocean. Immediately, like a bloody face upon impact on the guy's face. Uh, so get Sanchez out. In real life, this was like a radio-controlled truck driven off the seven-mile bridge with 30-40 miles per hour. Well, there is the kind of a key moment where Dario and his friend, is it Pedro, are taking, you know, coming to Felix Leiter's house. And then the wife is screaming. And we get to the uh, crest scene. Uh, Crest says, bringing a cup here is nuts. This is the friend of uh, Franz Sanchez. They're waiting for Dario before going to Cuba.
2: Honeymoon! Uh,
1: yeah, that moment. Milton Crest, this character name was from a book, Live and Let Die by Ian Fleming. Davi was responsible for the touchstone piece of dialogue. Quote, Loyalty is more important to me than money. So Bond betrays that loyalty later, like hurts him like hell. And if you analyze all the violence like uh, Davi explained. Every act of violence that Sanchez commits, this is in reaction to what's been stepped on him. So he was talking about the chess match, example. If there were a chess match, he was attacked before he retaliated. He would be Donald Trump if he was in legitimate business. <laughs> so the, <laughs> this is a common track from, I believe, 1999
2: or 2000. You know, Sanchez really is kind of like a noble villain in a way. He's not all bad.
1: No, no, he, he has this principle of trust and being a good friend for the people he trusts.
0: I, I don't know, I, I, I took him simply as a dickbag, through and throughout.
2: But a loyal dickbag.
1: Yeah, if you go through the, all the inflicted violence that he does upon others, like, this is a really extremely brutal, ruthless character, which deserves zero love.
0: Yeah, and, and he's kind of the he's he's the most most lethal character of the film. Like most of the kills that happen in *License to Kill* are actually Sanchez killing his own henchmen because of Bond, Bond's antics.
1: Exactly, it's like this uh, collapsing the uh, the whole organization from inside out.
0: Yeah, mo- mostly by Bond implying things to Sanchez. Like you 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 have you have a a traitor. In your organization. Somebody wants to kill you. And, and mm. that gets Sanchez's suspicions and later plants evidence, and Sanchez kills one of his friends.
1: Yeah, this is the Yochimbo type of approach in License to Kill. Uh, sowing the seeds of distrust from the inside. Michael Wilson was very conscious about it. He said, quote, that without any attacking of the villain or its cohorts, only sowing the seeds of distrust he manages to have the villain bring himself down, end quote. And he admitted that he was getting more inspiration from Yochimbo and Sergio Leone's A Fistful of Dollars, which is essentially a remake of Yochimbo, as I understand. Yep, So it is. And yeah, these were the main inspiration instead of, for example, The Man with the Golden Gun, which has something similar. in the book.
0: And, and I kind of like it a lot. Yeah. Of, granted, it, it it does rob rob Bond himself those action moments where where Bond does the killing, like in like in in typical Bond Bond fashion. But at the same time, it is a bit more intelligent. Like Bond here is is playing more of a chess game than than in a typical James Bond film.
1: Yeah, we could talk about Carrie Lowell so. Spent her childhood in Libya and has lived in several countries. International woman. Became a model. Uh, These are both ex-models. Talisa Soto and Carrie Lowell. Was married to Richard Deere, among others. Latest marriage, she ended it while License to Kill was shooting. Yeah, about the lighter. If you check out the lighter scene, you can see that this cable that is coming to the lighter when Bond lights it up. Unfortunately, it's, it's coming from under his cuff. Yeah, but Milton Crest doesn't like uh, this Ed Killifer guy. I don't like it. He can finger me. Wow. I don't know. Wouldn't you want to be fingered by Ed Killifer? Okay, the joke quality is getting out of hand.
0: The, the joke actually, or, or or the theme of fingering wasn't that bad yet at this point in time. Like fingering beca- became extremely troublesome word after, after alien comment. is their fingering. There is fingering in that one.
1: Oh, oh okay.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Michael Fassbender f- fingers himself there.
1: Fast Blender.
0: For quite some time, actually.
1: Yeah, but in this film, loyalty is more important to me than money and fingering. There's Spanish being spoken, there's a Spanish accent, so Robert Davi was... Very much trying to learn the Colombian accent. Some of the Colombians came to Robert Davi, approached him in some way and told him that, so are you Colombian or something? So apparently it
0: worked really well. Robert Davi al- al- also really didn't want to let go of his character. After the shootings were done for the day and they, were, they had their free time, their time off, and they went, for example, into the restaurant, Robert Davi still hold on to his character and, and the mannerisms. Of Sanchez. Like when when he ordered the table, he kind of commanded this drug lord presence from the waiting staff, for example.
1: That's true. And the waiters were like, okay,
0: okay. But, yeah, we, uh, we get you that table, yeah. sir. So. <laughs> Rest of the crew laughing. Now, Davi also was was the go-to comedian of the production crew, as far as I've understood. Like he also played played tricks on on other members of the cast, like Benicio.
1: Yeah, Tubby was a practical joker. Uh, for example, later on in the shooting, he had a false nose and a cigar, and then Glenn expected him coming to the set as Sanchez, but came and appeared as the Marx Brothers. And the Marx Brothers were kind of these entertainers from the oldest but goodest films of the U.S.
0: Yeah, he also was the one instance when he phoned Benicio's hotel room like so- somewhere in the early hours of the morning or middle of night and pretended to be from the costume department and asked Benicio to show up immediately and Pe- Benicio quickly got out of the bed checked his hair noticed that it was a mess and just ran into the given direction only to find Davy and some other member of the crew there laughing who would do such a thing well robert davy apparently <laughs>
1: And of course, as mentioned before, there is this legendary quote from Benicio del Toro. So yeah, Glenn was into this Benicio's idea on playing with the dialogue around the film, such as, We gave her a nice
3: honeymoon!
1: Shark eating Felix's leg, this theme is coming from Live and Let Die once again, where Felix was bitten by a shark as well. And from the short story of the Hildebrand rarity, which is, uh, well, for euros only, this book from Ian Fleming has five bunch stories consisting of From a View to a Kill, For Your Eyes Only, Quantum of Solace, Risiko, and The Hildebrand Rarity. And in The Hildebrand Rarity, there is this one woman and Bond, and they go with the rich guy on a boat, it's starting to sound like an uninvited, Jesus Christ. And uh, <clears throat> during this trip, the guy gets a little bit uncomfortable, and uh, suddenly he's found dead, kind of a weird bond story. The wife of David Hadison couldn't stand the first run-through of the material where her husband's leg was cut off. Like, actually a lot of footage was shot and cut because it was too violent for the censors. And, of course there is a book by John Gardner License to Kill, this licensed official book, but the story is quite different, I understand. I have read parts of it like, freaking 25 years ago, so can't comment too much, but apparently The bad guys shares a lot of similarities to the main villain of Live and Die book, Mr. Big. Bond is about to take the flight. That's the next scene. For smoking or non-smoking or Agent Gone Rogue, drug dealer has escaped, so he immediately leaves the airport to investigate. And then he goes to the Leiter's house, of course, and finds the note with the injured Felix Leiter, uh, which reads, he disagreed with something that ate him which is a quote from a James Bond book. Della is dead. She has this blank stare. It came into my nightmares as a kid. So he finds Felix. What about the like differences or, or the similarities between Daniel Craig and Timothy Dalton? Do you think there is a lot of similarities or no?
2: No. Oh, wait. Yeah, they're both kind of emotional bonds, aren't they?
1: They're emotional. They are gritty in a gritty film at anyway. They're quite violent.
2: Daniel Craig seems to be more of a... Well, I'm talking about Daniel Craig's James Bond here. Seems to be more of an alcoholic than Timothy Timothy Dalton's James Bond.
1: I don't think they're very similar. I mean, they are kind of gritty, violent. Daniel Craig is somebody who really looks like a boxer, ex-boxer, which he actually is. And it kind of translates into the character, and it seems like Daniel Craig is this kind of a crude, very, very rough-around-the-edges The kind of a guy who looks a little bit out of place when wearing a suit, as compared to Timothy Dalton, who is really this very gentlemanly and uh, heartfelt, has a lot of passion, compassion, and he cares about people as a character, as as an actor. I feel that Daniel Craig doesn't look like the guy who who looks very good in a suit. It's also because I I don't think they are fitting him uh, very well at all in any of his films. They're very tight, and that's also the opinion of some professionals on the subject matter. And uh, he also yeah. looks like the guy who shouldn't be probably wearing a suit. Or looks kind of off in the suit, as compared to Timothy Dalton, who is actually a gentleman, whereas Daniel Craig is kind of this yeah. rough around the edges, uh, you, "I don't give a shit about you" type of agent.
0: Yeah. Then, then, then again, then again, it bears to remember that Daniel Craig films are doing that on purpose.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. there, there so, is that. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Just, just to voice it out, we we are not saying that Daniel Craig is bad Bond. No, no. This this is done very much in in on, on purpose in in the films films, and we are aware of that fact.
1: So, do you think that the less well fitting suits are, could be part of the plan?
0: Yeah, I I do actually feel very well, well believe that that they that also is done on purpose. Because part of the Daniel Craig bond is that he is still uncomfortable in the suit. Like, they it they out in Casino Royale, Daniel Craig's bond is supposed to wear a suit, kind of a, because he believes that that's what a normal person does. And he does it kind of a, with, with disdain. Like, he does it kind of a mockingly.
1: Daniel Craig, I feel, is kind of the total reimagining of James Bond in many ways, and I feel that he's completely doing his own thing, as is Timothy Dalton. He's not trying to emulate absolutely no one. He's just doing his vision of James Bond or what Ian Fleming wrote, and he's kind of trying to base it on that.
0: Dalton's approach to Bond was that that the agent that Ian Fleming visioned was not a hero and was not a good guy. That he, he was... Just as bad as, as the villains he face, the g- 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 the divide the, between the two was that Bond just happens to work for the quote-unquote good guys. Works for the MI6. And be- because of this, even though a- as a person Bond is just as despicable as his enemies, his actions or his, or, or, or his boss, MI6, okay. Bond's antics still.
1: There was a good quote from uh, Dalton regarding this situation. He said that, quote, One of the interesting things about Bond is that he's just as bad as they are. I mean, the books come back to this theme time and time again. I think it's one of the reasons why, maybe if we talk about the living daylights before, this theme of acidity, malaise, keeps creeping back into each of the books. The real sense of distaste for who he is, what he is, in the world he's working in because he's old enough to recognize himself. He says time and again or someone says time and again. He's just as bad. He's a murderer. A killer cold, cruel ruthless killer. He just happens to be working for the side that's called good. Where Fleming is special is that he gives this man a completely opposite side and makes him very human and makes him one of us. And so we put ourselves in his place but recognize that side to him which probably does lurk in all of us in some small degree or not. But oh yeah he's just as bad as they are. End quote.
0: Which is kind of a I I, I don't know nice but but good reading to take on Bond because in in the books also Bond Bond, Bond has a lot of issues in, in the books and this 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 take that 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 Fleming does that on purpose put, puts all, all, all these negative aspects into bond on purpose to highlight how how Bond and his his adversaries are not that different in the end it, it kind of does give a reasoning for for all, all, all the heinous stuff that happens in the books
1: yeah then again I felt that I kind of had a stronger personal connection with Dalton in some sense in the living daylight sky. Like in Licence to Kill he is so angry and somehow I feel he's a bit more distant to the audience. I'm not sure if the audience is fully on board. He's the British Swave agent and he has now fallen under this emotion of rage. It's Shenmue without the grace and some valuable teachings about human frailty. He's just going there with an axe basically. Bond is in fact now like so human that James Bond is no longer something admirable, something that we look up to.
0: And that's and kind, of, kind of a easy uh, uh, I, I guess that is the best compliment you can actually give to License to Kill. That the film is not in, nothing like Shenmue, because Shenmue was shit. <laughs> Stop it. I, like uh, God damn it! We, we are in good hands when, when the film does not remind you of Shenmue.
1: <laughs> you have completely misunderstood the whole game. That's okay.
0: <laughs> that that that's what a, what a console gamer would say, and is saying, and will be saying when Shenmue Three eventually comes out.
1: Okay, let's not talk about more about Shenmue.
0: <laughs> no, let, let's talk about nice nice things. Let's talk about good things. Let's talk about monsters to kill.
1: Yeah, but the thing is that the huge appeal that many fans have for James Bond is that he's kind of the ideal man, in a sense. You know, dresses very well. He's unbeatable and doesn't sweat when he's faced with unbelievable situations. He has always yep. this calm and he can always win everybody in some yep. way. And yep. too much so in Roger Moore films. But, you know, he's not the ideal guy anymore in License to Kill. He's just no, like any no. any guy.
0: Yeah, and it's fucking great.
1: Uh, it is and it isn't. I think they could have made more of a bigger spectrum for Timothy Dalton in this film, because he's so fucking pissed most of the time. It's starting to get a little nauseating. Like He could just smile once in a while, do some joke here and there, actually a good joke, yeah. and then carry on. C-
0: come on, come on! The bad guys fed a recurring character to a shark.
2: I mean, one of his best friends got murdered, and his other best friend got his leg bitten off. There's not much sure. to smile about, really.
1: Yeah. Sure, sure, sure. But for example... Well, there's a scene when Bond wants the truth from Bambouvier later because he has seen her with Heller. And I felt that you could kind of approach it differently. For example, like, you tell me now what this deal was about with Heller. Or from now on Q needs to be my Miss Kennedy. And that wouldn't work very well, would it? Something like that. Just going to lighten up the mood. But the only jokester here is the practical joker, Mr. Davi. He has some good one-liners.
0: Well, well, there is that one joke when Kilifer is is holding on to that that wire and hanging on top of the shark pit, and Bones throws the suitcase at Killifer, pushing him him to the shark pit.
1: Yeah, and then he's completely stone faced when uh, his friend there makes the Yeah, target. it's
0: it it's a deadpan comedy, man.
1: <laughs> yeah, but well, that always kind of turned turned me. That was kind of disappointing. In a way.
0: no, 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 it wasn't. It it was goddamn enjoyable moment.
1: Yeah, he goes like, what a terrible waste of money. And Bond is like, uh.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: But yeah, if it, if they would have played it the other way that he would have smiled, I think that would have been really creepy for sure. So Felix is in the hospital. Let's pick up the pace a little bit.
0: <laughs> yeah, let's. Let's keep investigation.
1: Yeah Felix is in in the hospital and then they go investigate the situation and they go into one of these white shark sellers
0: Yeah they, they basically have gone through all of them they they have had list I guess from the phone book of people who who sell white sharks Yeah and the, and the last this, this one is, is that they the, yeah yeah this, this is the last place which they are going to check up and as it happens it's also the place where Felix rather was was fed to the shark.
1: There is still some shit from shark hunting days. Yeah, it's actually for sale. Look, I'm kind of busy. So then Bond has to go there on a secret investigation on his own. I like this dialogue part. Goodbye, mister. Goodbye. You are an asshole.
3: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: there we have Dalton smiling. That's good.
3: Yeah, I, I,
0: I don't see what's your problem like like Dalton did smile film saved
1: uh, don't read like it too aggressively like i think there are so many good things in this film it's kind of kind of a proto daniel craig bond in some ways
0: it's very much proto daniel craig bond it's also most progressive james bond film mm. i i would almost say up to date uh, well L- like like like, for example, when you when you look at look at how how the women in, in of the film were, like like they both kind of stand their own ground. They both are not get, they taking the typical shit from Bond. And when it comes to the main love interest of, of the film, she actually turns the tables around with Bond to a point where Bond in the end kind of a, has to well quote unquote chase her. Mm-hmm. instead of the typical other way around where where woman just en- enters the room and immediately fall into bone's arms yeah and and in the end in the end Bone even has to kind of uh, he he has to prove he his his emotional side to the lady he, instead of su- just wooing her over with his physical powers like like in your typical bone scenario where where they they thing that sells Bond to any given lady is A, the fact that Bond apparently is really good in bed, and B, the fact that Bond is physically extremely capable in in dangerous situation, that Bond survives the dangerous situation. In here, he has to actually showcase some type of emotional need for the woman before the woman accepts Bond.
1: But if we talk about uh, women characters in the Bond franchise, there's a lot of emotions about that. Some people feel that the the Bond franchise has mistreated women very, very badly. But if you really know your bonds, then you know that that's not really always the case. Actually, I would say over half of the women characters in the leading roles in the James Bond franchise are very strong women. We can th- talk about them, you know, you have Ursula Andres, not very strong, Tatiana Romanova, no, Goldfinger, you have uh, Pussy Galore, who is extremely independent and uh, smart and strong. Then you have Thunderball, where you have Fiona Volpi, same case, has sex with Bond, but still is remaining as the baddie until the very end. And gives actually some very emotional talk about how he feels about it.
2: Zena on the top, is very peaceful.
1: Yeah, <laughs> she's very strong. But on Her Majesty's Secret Service, you can't argue against that Diana Riggs character is a pretty strong female character. Uh, Diamonds are Forever, you have chill uh, St. John, kind of a choky, kind of a stupid kind of a woman character, unfortunately, in, in this film. Live and Let Die, well, there is a solitaire character, again, a weak lady character, in a sense. Then you have the man with the golden gun, and oh god, you have a Good knight, which is one of the worst examples. But then you have The Spy Who Loved Me, Triple uh, X, extremely independent. Uh, you have Moonraker, same thing, with Harley Goodhead. For Your Eyes Only, you have the woman with the arrow. Strong character, once again. Octopus is moderately strong. A view to a kill Stacey Sutton is completely dependent on James Bond, so that's not good, in a sense. And then the living daylights, yeah, she's kind of protected by Bond. But License to Kill, here we are. Again, strong characters. Goldeneye, strong. Tomorrow Never Dies strong. Die Another Day, strong.
0: And and they all fall head over heels for Bond, who actually treats them all pretty shittily throughout the films. Mm,
1: depends. Halle Berry was fine. In License to Kill, it's fine. Daylight's fine.
0: I really wouldn't go that far. Really? Yeah.
1: It's kind of the theme now. Like like, And in every interview for the new James Bond film, they, the leading woman characters are saying that, oh, my character is so different from the other girls and it's going to be so independent character strong female character except that we have had it for like the last 25 years already
0: we have had it and we have not like, we we have had strong female characters in the sense that there have been female characters who have been put in in a role of power within the film but that still doesn't change the fact that bond and his magic penis is immediately going to win over any of those characters.
1: But you can also look at it like this, that the, for example this is a ex-CIA agent in this film and maybe she's just as of a sex maniac as James Bond because immediately after the bar they start kissing in the boat and probably have sex under the boat I don't know, on the lower levels if there's something like that, some compartment and I thought it was perfectly fine because we can see that this woman is very independent and can uh, make her own decisions so it was some... <laughs> A mutual understanding, as always. I don't think uh, Bond is out there to rape anyone, of course. But like, I don't feel that this character here is very head over heels.
0: I I don't know. There has been there has been cases. There has been cases.
1: Mm, okay. Yeah. Goldfinger. Yeah. Mm, <laughs> pussy galore.
0: Not not to point any fingers, but God damn it, Bond. <laughs> but 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 more more than that. Like I I, I would say when it comes to... When it comes to *License to Kill*, when it comes to female sexuality in *License to Kill*, that actually is the weaker, weaker moment around that topic. Like, yeah,
1: it was uh, very sudden, but I feel that they're both strong and smart
2: characters, at least. It's an interesting question. Do you would you consider Xena on a top to be a Bond girl? Because she she doesn't quite make it in my view, but she very
1: nearly does. Like a uh, Bond, uh, Bond's a good girl. Oh, no,
0: no. I, I do count her as a bond as girl, and I actually do like her quite a lot as a bond girl. Like, I, I once again feel that, that she is one of the better ones. One of the more stronger and more independent bond girls of the franchise. And sadistic and crazy. But that that also feeds into it.
2: She definitely gives zero fucks.
0: And that mm. that's what I like about her.
1: Excellent performance. Okay, so Bond gets into Crest's dump, and is surprised by the shark. Then there's a guard who gets maggots on the face, and uh, they meet Killifer, who is trying to shoot at Bond but fails. And uh, you earned it, you keep it, old buddy, and drops him into the same place that the lighter was chopped off. There was some kind of clarity issues in the pan-scan version, because it was hard to figure out where... James Bond is moving, and it was looking like he was entering the crest facility from below, like he would have been underwater. But it turns out that there was a fish tank in front of the image. So Bond goes through some maggots, throws the maggots. This is kind of a similar gunfight to the final show-off with the showdown with Whitaker, in my opinion, in The Living Daylight. There are some some similar, you know, shots. Then we meet with uh, Sharky who tells something about Crest doing evil stuff very soon, like some schedule of Crest's, who is kind of the, one of the, in, in the chain, smuggling the drugs. Crest is responsible for smuggling stuff underwater, as it turns out, and then getting it delivered to the plane. So a little teeny weeny part of Killifer was found. And that means that now Bond has to be escorted to M's temporary, some kind of quarters, yeah, some kind of a hideout. And we get to the kind of a farewell to arms scene. It was the home of Ernest Hemingway, the American journalist and writer. Rogue agent, yeah.
0: Yeah, ro- rogue agent being a stunt that James has put numbers of times in the in the franchise. Like, it's Ex- kind, of, kind of a go-to stunt of Bond. Whenever M does not agree with his point of view or how he handles the situation, Bond always, always quits or threatens to quit and go rogue. But at this point,
1: no. Up to this point, no. After this, it's going to be a more repeated moment, at least in Daniel Craig's films. Bond was supposed to be in Istanbul, but uh, he wants to take care of the slider mission and says that then you can have my resignation, sir. We're not a country club, (laughs) 7 Robert Brown is really good as M and a very good actor, clearly. It's a farewell to weapons. Yeah, arms.
0: Yeah, it's got quite a famous book.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so it looks like M's posse is having only like three, four people there to handle James fucking Bond.
0: Well, Bond is just supposed to, you know, take his orders and go to Istanbul or in worst case quit once again.
1: Yeah, anyway, it leads into this ridiculous moment where Bond escapes and they try to shoot him. And then M is like, no, too many people. And then they just completely ignore him and let him go. Kind of a bad uh, preparation, to s- say the least.
0: I, I, I don't know. I mean, what would what should they have expected from Bond at that moment?
1: That he would go to the front gate or the back gate or try to escape in some way, but nobody there to catch him.
0: Uh, I, I I think that the dude with M16 on, on the tower was c- quite adequate preparation for what they what they had any right to expect Bond to do in that situation. But Bond really start, starting to resist. Giving up his gun. And turning hostile against other members of MI6. Including his own goddamn boss. Like that That's not also the first scenario I would have had in mind had I been M. Or or at least not in a typical situation. We have to kind of remember that we are dealing with Bond here.
1: Mm, of course. He put on the GoldenEye video game invisibility mode, and escaped. Okay, then we get to Crest's boat once again. The captain is uh, looking for something, foreign objects on his screen, and Crest goes into the room of Lupe, and Lupe says that you are drunk, you're a borracho. Mr. Crest, and Crest is borracho. The DEA raided Key West, and all the blame is put on to Lupe in this scene, and tells about the fixed phony beauty contest that she won, thanks to Sanchez. This captain is absolutely hilarious, one of my favorite characters in the film. He comes to explain something about some weird object, and he doesn't recognize that it's a manta ray or something, it clearly looks like a manta ray, and then he just doesn't push it forward in any way, it's just like, there's something weird on my screen, oh it's just a manta ray, okay. So Bond stashes the guard into the pressure chamber, sneaky Bond trying to get back to the upper level. What are the sleeping dudes doing? Not sleeping, but making some sounds, like passionately jerking off, I guess.
3: Ooh.
0: Yeah. Any thoughts on jerking off? Okay, carrying on. Actually, I do. (laughs) Oh, my God. I I was supposed to say this is not that type of
2: podcast. (laughs) Um, You guys have no idea what happened to me last night, and I'm not going to tell you what happened to me last night.
1: Okay, good. Don't. Please don't. Can I please? I don't know well
0: see well, no. well, since Cory since, since o- o- already you know tried to turn this into a jerking off the podcast <laughs> By all means go
2: ahead nah it's not that it's not that kind of podcast man.
0: <laughs> okay yeah, did you hear that Cory? Uh,
1: no, I'm having some trouble hearing because aren't we catering to everybody We have a lot of knowledge and we have the stupidity and <laughs> quality
0: jokes okay, and- we, we we don't have to gather thecheroffs. Because the two main hosts of the podcast already filled that quota. Oh, that's news to me. Well, I, I don't know about you. Dirty love. <laughs>
1: Finding the guard now in the pressure chamber or whatever, depressurizing, whatever the fucking machine it is. Bond goes into the suite of Lupe and make a sound and you're dead. This uh, borracha girl gets the knife on the neck from Bond and Bond is so angry that... He couldn't get his flight to Istanbul because of this bullshit. That's what it's all about. Like like he said in From Russia with Love, like where the Bospor is unbelievable. So his name was Sharky. Bond drowns one dude and then he, well he shoots the guy who was joking about Sharky. Yeah.
0: Shoots the dude with the harpoon.
1: There is this very convinced guy who says to Crest that he must have drowned Mr. Crest. Very, very believable indeed. Like Bond is so fucking angry, but also very confident.
0: Yeah, it's almost like the best aspects of Bond, all put together: anger and confidence.
1: Mm-hmm. Crest is shooting with the pistol. Look at those facial expressions. God, the guy is getting so pissed off.
0: Well, wouldn't you? Like, let's let's be honest. In 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 that situation, wouldn't you get pissed off also?
1: My father was completely not a fan of Dalton or License to Kill, especially because he thought that Timothy Dalton's Bond is just... he I don't like it, because this is just a, like, a, it's like a humorless killer. That's how he put it, more or less. Anyway, but this was the maybe his favorite moment from the film, because you could hear from me. He, he was laughing at Crest saying this, DIVE, GOD it, DIVE! Things are rolling completely out of control.
0: Yeah, Bond is starting to dope all the fish in the ocean. Yeah, also... Is
1: tapping the camera to death.
0: <laughs> he, he, he's tapping the camera. Bond stabs pretty much everything he can get to, gets his hands on at this moment.
1: Then he's finally gotten to the surface. And he's pulled back uh, uh, under the water. And then we get a little bit of a Thunderball moment in Florida Keys where this was filmed. And... Uh, Then we get to the water skiing. Arthur Wooster and the second unit, they want to shoot Dalton on a specially built rig to simulate barefoot skiing. But there was this world champion skier, David Reinhardt, who did the actual jump with the kind of more wide shots, with the actual stunt behind a real seaplane. So he could also double very much for Timmy because they looked very similar. And I, I can't really see the actual chains of the people in this scene. But there is this, uh, which sounds to me like a comedic sound effect when Bond flips when he's water skiing. Like, <laughs> and this kind of reminds me of the man with the golden gun and with the like, the car flip with Sheriff oh J.W. God.
0: Pepper. Ow. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, that, that, thanks for those memories. First image that comes to
1: your mind. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Bond uh, is now hanging on the pontoon. And throws off all the bad guys. Jake Lambert and BJ Worthy veterans are doing the stunt work here. Plane which can actually be seen in flying in extremely high altitude on many occasions. But then returns way down back to the boat. And then drops off the last guy. Bond just uh, smiling to himself and throwing the money all over the place. I kind of enjoy that. Uh, Bond's complete lack of interest in hard currency. Like he, he just wants to get his job done. Nothing else is standing on his way.
2: He's a very pure guy.
1: Yeah. Then we get to the laser disc scene because Bond enters Slider's crime scene, and uh, and the lights suggest actually that there's a police car behind the building or somewhere around the building, as you can see from the window. Yep. So that's funny. So finds out info from the laser disc. There's an up to date list apparently of deceased CIA people and contract pilots, and it even lists at the next meeting. This is like a prototype. Microsoft Outlook of some kind Running on a laser disc connected to internet I guess
0: uh, so Somebody has has saved the, the Script on the disc Bone happens to find it
1: <laughs> Some CIA Database of some sorts Yeah, There's a hand that cuts the tape To enter Leiter's house, the police tape And uh, this is where Michael Wilson Doubled for hands
0: <laughs> <laughs> Stunt hands Stunt hands <laughs>
1: Then we get to my favorite scene of all time. Let's get to the bar, Henrik. Let's get crowdy. So, Barrelhead Bar. And uh, I think kind of the key scene for Benicio del Toro in this film. La Señorita Bouvier. And Dirty Love is playing. Dirty Love. Yeah, says to Pam that she will be next because of the lighter leaks. Yeah, Sanchez took a bunch of files related to Sanchez. And everything else.
0: Well, there there is the stripper with world's highest work ethics. Who, yeah. <laughs> who stays on the job even after the brutal fight starts.
1: I love it. It's amazing.
0: <laughs> it, 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 it's quite amazing. Like <laughs> had, I, had, had I been on her pole, I would have just, you know, quit at that moment and left the premises and called it a night. It's only like seconds before when
1: the huge-ass hole is created with the shotgun to the wall. Way too huge, by the way. Then she's like, ah!
0: Yeah, it it takes a whole goddamn shotgun blast for her to stop her work.
1: Yeah. And apparently the stereos were hidden inside the wall because the music goes like... (laughs) Yeah, this was in Bimini bar in Bimini, westernmost district in the Bahamas. Benicio was hanging a lot of time with the Davi. Kind of bad guys were hanging with the bad guys. (laughs) I like how this is going at the film set. Yep, they escaped the bar. Carrie Lowell's character Bamboovir makes the line, out of gas. Haven't heard that in a long time. <laughs> Always wondered, like, is that like a regular regular go-to tactic of picking women up?
2: Oh, look, I ran out of gas. I yeah,
1: I, really... I,
0: I guess we have to have sex now. <laughs> uh,
2: I will try that next time in a bar. Like, They must have hit the fuel line. Wanna join me? But I can see by the gorge that you didn't run out of gas. No, just just listen to me, I ran out of gas. And that's it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, then there's the Pam's monologue about hellholes and being in the toughest hellholes in America and how she's very professional. That's a good point that she's making because Bond is being very annoying to her. No, not really.
0: Well, he's he's being Bond. He's, he's, being th- he's typical
1: Bond. Sure. Then they are bartering. I have to wonder why would she be joining the crazy plan of Bond because, as she said, it's completely crazy. Of course, she wants to stay alive. That's her motivation because she is on the shit list of Sanchez and Bond wants to take on his revenge.
0: He is also on the shit list of M, who makes the notion how he will inform the MI6 operatives in Eastmoosh so that they can stop Bond. It's got to be stopped. And bring him back to England. Hmm. And we never get back to that.
1: Yes, we do. Because there is when, this
0: uh, when when we do oh yeah 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 in 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 the Chinese narcotics yeah. agent scene yeah 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 you're correct
2: I'm also pretty sure that Q is going against protocol as well by helping Bond out in this oh he of...
0: most definitely is yeah yeah like yeah Q Q is also going rogue at the moment I took note of that
1: like the guy is risking his whole career and risking jail time so he must have had. Extremely a lot of love for Bond after all, after all those years.
0: Yeah, after all those years when he has lovingly <laughs> spent like, like like ages, like countless of hours to come up with different type of gadgets, which he is on his knees praying that Bond brings back from his missions intact and Bond completely disregards them and, and completely wrecks everything Bo- you ever hands to him. Yeah, the
1: money penny scene here is shockingly short. Must must be the shortest money penny scene ever. Or maybe Live and Let Die, I'm not sure. No, this is way shorter. But she has a very big role in the film because she's the one that is trying to take care of James Bond on his rogue adventure and sends Q. Yeah, we get to Ismus. Bond now has kind of a, kept some of the money from this little Milton Crest airplane ride orders to do to deliver fresh flowers every day and uh, has given Bam Bouvier a new name, Miss Kennedy. Making some references right there. There was a deleted scene where you see James Bond's and, and Miss Kennedy's or Bam Bouvier's arrival to Ismus. So they're on the airfield and very close to them at the same time actually some of the people of Sanchez are coming out of a plane. And when they are moving away from the airport then... Pam basically tells the whole story of Isthmus and the relationship of Sanchez to that uh, Isthmus city. Kind of pointless. The made-up country, in fact, the Republic of Isthmus. So they wanted to avoid all kinds of lawsuits
2: and problems. I think the Isthmus is a um, you know, the Karelian Isthmus is a place in Finland.
1: It's on the Russian side, though. Karjalankannas. Yeah, true, true. So they go to Finland and no, this is actually based on a banana republic called Panama, which was quite a like a drug organization at the time.
3: Mm.
1: Bond makes this a uh, questionable line, like, Ha 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 ha, we're south of the border, it's a man's world. And I'm sure he is right, but it's kind of this, you know, you wouldn't see that anymore. Banco de Ismu's next stop, Sanchez owns it. Bond delivers some money to the bank. I'm sure people downstairs are quite capable of... Please, take a seat. Now the Orientals arrive, as they are called throughout the film. Yeah, the word Orientals, which is not considered very nice anymore. So, people from Asia are coming. There, there are some Japanese people, there are some Chinese people, at least, because Heller uses the konbanwa. Somehow the bank lady looks very pissed when Miss Kennedy invites in inside through the door. Kind of on her turf or something. It seems like she was romantically interested in James Bond and She leaves the scene as soon as Miss Kennedy arrives. And we get to Wayne Newton. This kind of one of the top entertainers in uh, Las Vegas. He's here to bless our hearts.
2: He's such a fucking creep,
1: really. (laughs) We need you to go to your phones right now. Somewhere in between these shots scenes, there was a deleted scene where Bond is using the Felix lighter. Yeah, you know, guys, it's it's a Felix fucking lighter. He uses it in his hotel room with this huge flame. While watching television,
0: yeah, you, you kind of uh, That's once again the setup set up reminder and payoff. This being the reminder and payoff coming at the very end of the film. Yeah.
1: Lupe says that he hasn't seen anything in Crest's quarters and says the kind of uh, masks he's kind of discussed for Sanchez and the fact that she's lying. She says that, you know, I can't stand that thing. Referring to the iguana. Yeah, the iguana guys. Like, did that look fake to you? The iguana? No. Yeah. It's a real
0: iguana. Uh,
2: it Kind of look fake to me.
0: Oh, uh, uh, are you talking about the diamond necklace that the iguana has? That is also real. Is it really? Yeah, everything real. That... Real diamonds. Oh, wow. Yeah, but but surprisingly little of diamonds in the end. Hmm. Like like necklaces and and coat watches and your typical kind of, kind of a flamboyant accessories.
1: Yeah, Davi was kind of a jokester. He's, he wanted to have some kind of a hum, hum, humorous elements in his characters. And then he got this iguana. And uh, actually he gets an improvised acting moment from the iguana who kisses Davi. And then he goes like, oh, you want one too? <laughs> you can't really coordinate iguanas.
2: It seems his villains are really into showing off their pets. Like Ernst Stavro Blofeld. You oh, know, his cat, point. And... Yeah. Um, and this lizard, whatever it is.
1: Yeah, Glenn, after filming this this kissing with the iguana, Glenn was like, You're such a great actor, iguana. And Dobby was like, And what about me?
0: Well, I- iguana has been highly paid. Yeah. With, with, with not <laughs> other so. diamond necklaces. So, you know, I, I would have expected also that all, all the best from that
2: iguana. And he didn't even have a speaking role. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, simply a Simply a silent. Purely with expressions and body movement type of performance.
1: What would you guys feel if you were called into a James Bond movie and you were told that the film is going to take place in Finland?
0: A flaming disaster. So there has <laughs> like, been that one one book by, by Garner which also places James Bond in Finland and I never <laughs> managed to even finish it. I, okay. don't <laughs> think, I don't think that's a bad idea at all. Like, what, what the fuck is Bond supposed to be doing in Finland? Well, well, drinking beer and
2: eating black sausage. Uh, no, Helsinki is is really, uh, is very high class in some yeah, areas. Yeah,
0: it, no, it's not, it's not, it's not. Lowell
1: was a little, little bit disappointed about filming in Mexico, and uh, not inside those other exotic places where Bond usually goes to, but uh, she came to like the experience, she knew Mexico, and she spoke a little bit of Spanish, and... Got amazing dishes there. Anthony Stark. For some reason, everybody keeps saying in some podcasts or some reviews how they like or some of the fans somehow like Anthony Stark here, the Truman Lodge character. I don't know what's so incredibly amazing about it, but I, I like the character, sure. It's a good character. Okay, so they use the television show of Wayne Newton or the Professor Butcher to negotiate the drug prices and the newest price for everybody is $22,000. And that's the way to communicate <laughs> out in the open in that sense. And uh, Sanchez gets informed from Truman Lodge, from some other guy on the other uh, on the end of the phone, that Bond is playing there like a real jerk off, has raised the limits. Kind of a British sucker who dropped a quarter of a million and wants to play No Limit Table too. And he's talking about how this rich guy flew into the country today with $5 million in cash at the casino. And of course then Sanchez sends lupe to the scene to get the bond off the table yeah there is this sad uh, th- the chinese agent mr quang in the background with one lady i, c- I kind of always thought it was weird that she uh, he is there because i don't think he's needed he, he's just there and then he leaves with the girl when lupe says that you're going to lose but not much then he has this like quirky smile and they leave at the scene kind of weird pam Bouvier takes the drink of james bond because there's no one to drink it, and then Bond goes into quarters of Senor Sanchez, and he totally levels with the dude, like, tries to be very honest with the guy, but this time, the honesty, or what appears to be honest from Dalton, is actually not very honest. I think is
2: kind of gullible, I think. Yeah,
1: a bit, like, the way that he listens to Bond. Well, it seems to be effective, this way of approaching him. Sanchez says that one has to show a special talent that people don't have, Bond... Response. hmm, well that shouldn't be too hard And then there's like a s- small shot that each of the people in the room And it looks like they're taking offense from that Which I thought it was kind of funny and weird Because, yeah, so what? I don't think Bond was making comment about the intelligence of these people in the room Or he could have as well Sometimes Dalton, you know, he looks like a pissed off iguana Especially at the casino Hair is all like glued to the back and it's very shiny, and he looks very kind of scary, always this very pissed off face. Very, like, uh very angry. But Uncle has arrived, and Q is here. You know, it's great that uh, Dalton spawned... Apparently Q, in each movie of the Bond film, he's, he's wearing a different kind of tie to signify some allegiance to or belonging to some kind of a club, something related to military or some clubs or something like that. I didn't know that before. I different tie every time.
0: And that's like that's unbelievably minor detail on a character, <laughs> is it? Well, had 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 you ever noticed that Q changes his tie in every movie? <laughs> no, haven't paid attention yeah. until now. Yeah, so I would say unbelievably minor detail. Ev- yeah, every every single got- movie ma- ma- makes the knowing notion to change Q's tie. And, and here here, Curry is never actually paying attention to it because it's such of a minor detail. Yeah, it's
1: kind of funny, though, that it's making the statement that Q is belonging to all of these different groups that the tie is about. What was it like? Let's say 20 different organizations.
0: And that that's kind of kind of the only notion that the films ever give, give to Q to ha- actually having any free time, like having <laughs> any activities outside of his job.
1: Yeah. Bond is going upstairs to the roof. Funny how he actually leaves the food inside the elevator. But there is some guy who is going to get it anyway. And then goes behind the window of Sanchez. There's the John Glenn obligatory. Is it a pigeon? So, what this all is about now Sanchez is, or he has an invisible empire from Chile to Alaska. And he wants to make the Chinese and Japanese part of it. They want the Pacific to be their little puddle. Exclusive franchising rights for 100 million per territory and guaranteed quality and price for five years. And again, we look at this, you know, this this, this uh, trust thing. Uh, Mr. Kwang, you don't pay for hardware. You pay for my personal guarantee and protection. There's like three different moments where Bond is trying to get rid of Q and Pam. This is the first one. Like, you're a hell of a field operative. Now go. See you back in London. But then he will need him again anyway. After this little Sanchez operation, Bond is preparing the gun. There's the president visit, the president Lopez, who is actually acted by Pedro Armendariz Jr., and of course his father was playing in From Russia with Love. Watch the birdie, you bastard! So he blows up the window, tries to get a shot, but doesn't get it because there's some ninja attacked out of nowhere.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that was kind of weird. Yeah, th-
0: this may be the weirdest moment o- o- of the entire film. Bones signature camera gun is... is A, that is stupid. And B, the Chinese attacking with full ninja force here is
2: also stupid. Mm. Secret agent ninjas. I think Kung Fu was really big in the 80s. Like, really popular. It it, it, it was,
0: and ninjas were kind of the only thing that Western knew about Asia. Or China. <laughs> ninjas
1: and tea. So to make the point home that these are from Asia you have to make them ninjas. Yep. <laughs> Bond following the trends. So yeah, there's an interesting moment when he's doing the "watch the birdie you bastard. Uh, before that there is when Bond sees in the window Heller and uh, Pam Bouvier negotiating something. And we, when he notices that and we switch back to Bond on the camera, his eye gets widened fully up behind the scope and this is the exact same kind of moment that happens in the living daylights. So when Saunders says, it's the girl with the cello and then there's a similar shot at Bond where his eye is wide open. Yeah, the person from the UK is trying to send Bond back to London but then they start shooting the entire warehouse or the abandoned building, Sanchez takes control and uh, funny how they had time to change into full military gear and then pursue Quang. Wang, who takes cyanide.
0: Funny how Sanchez was actually able to, or, or the military, the ismus military who attacks here has been able to follow a group of ninjas into some, some backwoods lodge where they now have taken cover. Mm.
1: Yeah, Sanchez finds James Bond unconscious and yeah, Bond wakes up and uh, Bond wakes up in Sanchez's mansion with the fish surprise. Because there's this creepy statue of a fish.
0: And oh boy, is is, is the statue creepy ever? Yeah. yeah. Like, Jesus Christ.
1: It's kind of like half human face, half fish or something like that.
0: Yeah, it, it, it's like if a, if a statue would mate with a fish demon, that would be kind of the offspring.
1: <laughs> this movie plays sometimes like a horror movie. So... This was in Arabesque, Agapulco, Via Arabesque in Agapulco, owned by some baron and baroness di Protonovo, some very famous people apparently, Bodies of broccoli, And this is a pretty crazy location, one of the most stunning locations, I think, in Bond film history.
0: And a complete nightmare at the camera.
1: Yeah, it was apparently so, so white there, as you can see that it was a problem from the DP to, I think, light everything correctly.
0: Yup, that the white surfaces kind of kind of a, kind of a uh, shining back or all, all the light to the camera and ma- make, making the exact shapes obscure and kind of kind of hard to capture.
1: I have also noticed regarding DPing in and, this film and uh, I think in many Bond films that it's the same thing that the, the the DP is well it's the same thing as in the Living Daylights and many other films that the there is no diffusion apparently used in any way like softening the lighting you know when you see the faces especially on the blu-ray you can see that it's it's very sharp you can see all the scratches and little details on on the face
0: a lot a lot
1: of hard light hard light yes and it's like what they're trying to do there it's uh, trying to add to the realism of james bond films here i guess it works there is no any of the title song incorporated into the soundtrack. Actually, the departure from John Barry, uh,
0: and and the soundtrack, since you mentioned, also uses the Bond theme itself quite sparingly.
1: I would say so, and when it uses it, I think it works really well. I really enjoy these renditions.
0: It yeah, th- those moments are kind of highlighted by by the theme, like yeah. m- more than usual, because it it only plays in like. One or two sequences in the film,
1: like the water skiing. I think it's th- that's one of the greatest sequences. Yeah, and l-
0: later on in the final fight, when Bone starts to do the ska- car stunts. Yeah, and um, and both of them are supo are meant to become these these big highlight stunts of the film.
1: I would say they very much are. So David and Dalton, they both like to do let's say, as much research as the Flick Lab. So they went to original works, and in the book Casino Royale, it talks about how Bond and Le Chiffre are kind of mirror images of each other. And I think that very well plays out in this film. And our villain is wearing pink. First time for a Bond film. Ooh. Yeah. I think he could... For Robert Davies, it, it works. He can wear it. It looks good on him, still. It wouldn't look too good on Dr. No. (laughs) <laughs> I think not
0: but, but then again, you know, having hands Would not look good on Dr. No
1: Yeah, true <laughs> But Lupe thinks that you're completely Loco, you shouldn't leave Because it's dangerous But Lupe helps Bond to escape from Sanchez's hospitality And drops the bag
0: And fools the guard Which is kind of one of the most dim With that guards ever uh, Certainly le- le- Lady is heading the direction which is outside with, with her back the guard makes a notion of of the back since he picks it up as after Lupe has dropped it and then you know like like 30 seconds later the guard finally counts one and one together and realizes that Lupe is heading outside. Also interesting
1: that when bond is kind of away for several several hours and he still I don't think he enjoys complete trust of Sanchez. Or in any case, nobody's taking care of this guy or looking after him or guarding him or...
0: Yeah, no, nobody's checking on Bond. E- uh, even to see if if Bond would need something. Like, to, even to ask, like, do you need freshmen? Yeah, weird. Maybe he had
1: already plugged this time as well the door with the, with the chair. And that was completely impossible to pass. Okay, but when we see Bond on the side of the boat, the spirata boat that that lady is controlling, This was a little bit longer originally. I think there was some kind of a dialogue as well. It's been a long time since I've looked into it. Okay, then we get James Bond back to say hello to Pam Bouvier, but uh, Bond is really pissed off, which is a surprise for her. Tim had some trouble taking Lowell's gun out of some kind of holster, so uh, they had to take a couple of takes with that. And now, just like in The Living Daylights, The Living Daylights, where you have the scene when... uh, Yaron Krabbe's character is, is uh, giving the diamonds to the snow leopards in exchange for drugs. In that moment, there is very, very packed and a lot of plot-related information in a short amount of time when James Bond is going through this monologue of his, that how he has already figured out every fucking aspect of this plot. And now Pam Bouvier is uh, bombarding us with information right here. I think we have to break it down a little bit because it's rapid fire as fuck. So, Bond thinks now that Pam is working with Sanchez people since Bond saw her visit uh, Heller. And, quote, Sanchez has arranged to buy Forstinger missile from the Contras. Do you guys know what is the Contras? Yeah. Yeah. These are the various U.S.-backed funded rebel groups between 1979 to 1990s that were opposing the National Reconstruction government in Nicaragua.
0: (laughs) And pure fiction. Yeah, as as any any U.S. official can immediately vouch for. Yeah, well, because because even though everybody in the goddamn world know, knows about contras, as as far as I understood, even up to date, the U.S. government has not actually officially acknowledged them. It Realize. it it's still it's, it, yeah it it still denies the knowledge of contras.
1: But then again, the Congress had already disapproved the arms deals between those, and then the president kept on doing this trade with the Contras in secret. So it wasn't really, in that sense, the U.S. state doing it.
0: Well, president still very much is the state. Uh,
1: Yeah, Ronald Reagan. And she continues, And he's threatened to shoot down the American airliner if the DAA doesn't lay off. So, yeah. And Bond asks, what's that got to do with you and Heller? She continues, Felix gave me a letter at this wedding from Attorney Channel granting Heller immunity if he gets the stingers back. So, uh, the Americans are trying to get, with the help of Pam Bouvier, the stingers back because Heller has agreed to return them so he can get immunity. And uh, did he go for the deal? Yes. And then you missed Sanchez, and Heller panicked and he said the deal was off and that I was dead if he ever saw me again. So, the attempt to return the stingers. Is now not working out, and Bond has now the extra responsibility f- because of his fuck up to get the stingers away from the drug lord.
0: We, which once again is really interesting moment in in Bond history and Bond films altogether. Because usually when Bond goes off the script and does whatever he wants, there really are not that big consequences for his actions. True. And and th- this is this is one of those rare occasions where Bond, through his antics, actually makes the situation hell of a lot worse, and where it's very clearly highlighted to Bond that that in in the universe where Bond operates, there also are CIA and all the other parties who also have, have may have interest in the situation, in in for example, in the shared bad guy. But
1: Tom, does it work for you as a character? idea that Bond is completely fucking out of his element and he's barging in into situations kind of like a weaker agent would do who is relying on his emotions here very much and agent who is completely out of control doesn't have the situation under control on any level
2: in fact I think it does work I think it's part of the whole James Bond package Hmm. he's always been impulsive he's always changed chased his emotions and he's never stuck to plan at all he's never stuck to the mission Hmm. Um, I think it does work. Yeah,
1: I think it mostly does work. Yeah, I think it, yeah. There's a
2: lot of levels to this, yeah. He always lets his emotions get in the way of the mission. He, really? Uh, yeah, he's always done that, I think.
0: We- yeah, he 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 did that fucking last episode, which we did, Living Daylights, where he goes, goes uh, once again, for the umpteenth time, goes against direct instructions and does not shoot the lady.
1: Yeah, that, but... Here he is completely controlled by his emotions, not like only the sexual urges, but he is fucking pissed off and that controls all his movements. Yeah. Which you don't see with Roger Moore, for
0: example. No, but but you do, do still see Bond doing the exact same kind of a shtick. Bond doing whatever he wants, Bond going against instructions, Bond going against orders, and Bond making kind of a hasty decisions based on how he feels in any given situation yeah but like you said this is uh it's a very interesting and so
1: different film because yeah he's laid off the service momentarily but of course then solves everything at the end of the film and it's like okay come back to service good job
0: yeah yeah you you stopped that bad guy everything is forgiven once again
1: yeah <laughs> bond makes a withdrawal and the bank service guy is definitely not too happy about that And we get to one of my favorite moments, the crazy harbor pilot. Uh, Pam Bouvier takes control of the ship, and there is this absolutely amazingly hilarious captain, at least to me. Those facial expressions are super gold. And then completely destroys the harbor. So yeah, this this, this was an existing dock, but they did an extension to that, so they could crash this part. What a surprise. But uh, then, yeah, Bond makes the remark that uh, I'd stick to flying if I were you, and gives this kind of a Perverted look at her, like, nice body parts you got there. Hmm. Cut back to Milton Crest. The actor has really special looks, like those eyes, those those eyes, man. The other eye super wide, the other eye a little bit closed. Oh, we had this crazy harbor pilot. Sanchez doesn't buy the story of Crest, and Perez comes to inform that they have found a stash where he is supposedly keeping the money away, hidden. And off we get to the pressure chamber.
2: Yeah, yeah. this was hard to watch.
1: Yeah. Uh, this is a prosthetic head, of course, and was created by John Richardson's team based on a mold of Anthony Serbe's face. And it was quite a gruesome result and was shortened to avoid censors- censorship problems. I'm not sure if there's even a longer version than of this scene than what we already have. I don't think so. So... Uh, Davi considered that this compression chamber scene Is w- or deep restoration tank Made to pressurize Because it's broken with the axe uh, He thought that this scene was Way more frightening than the shark scene And he thought that well you have already your jaws And everything so there's nothing special About the sh- shark scene but This scene you know
0: I don't know I, I thought it was the blast
1: Yeah the blast the- This is scarier than the shark scene
0: Yeah yeah but I, I-, I thought it was a blast the scene itself. It was good times. I was laughing my ass off as, yeah. as the pressure <laughs> chamber scene happened.
1: Yeah, this was uh, cut in the finished version. I remember that. The actual explosion. And now, this is now the third time when Bond says that now go away. I, I don't need you guys anymore. Send Skew and Bamboo Beer off their way and they're going to meet in Miami. So Bond's information helped, Sanchez. And there, this is a very brotherly scene. They kind of show that the, the Sanchez shows his kind of affection for Bond. It's kind of very affectionate. Like he has with the Dario. I think Dario and Sanchez are very brotherly or even something more you could suggest, you could guess, you could take from the some of the scenes.
2: I don't think so. <laughs> yeah,
1: I think it's just this Latino, very warm-hearted way of, you know, they are touching everywhere anyway, each other's, each other. Lupe wants to have some sexy time with Bond. She thinks that it's going to work out very very well, and it doesn't. Especially in the next goddamn scene. I love James so much. Q is in position to report where Bond is being taken, and uh, a Senorita tries to get a plane for herself, but doesn't quite work out. At least not immediately. And there's a scene about the Stinger missile that, the missiles that they're packing into the helicopter, and they go to the meditation center. This was some really weird place in Mexico, in a never-heard place called Toluca, and it was some kind of a meditation center for the local Indians, at least how it was called by by everybody related to this film.
0: Yeah, it, it was built as a as a, some kind of a gift, some kind of a celebration ground to the local Indian population by the then exiting president, if I remember correctly, and nobody ever. Actually, ever got to tell the Indians about the site? Something
1: like that, or it was so remote as well. It was built by some president for the local Indians, but uh, not many visitors there apparently.
0: No, it has it had been completely abandoned. Yeah, the Indians di- didn't get them get the news and didn't know to visit the site and take it to a proper use.
1: Yeah, this was a location two kilometers in air or 7000 feet, and this gave Cubby Broccoli some breathing problems. He fell very ill because of the thin and polluted air, and he had to go back, and he recovered completely in 2-3 days, but he couldn't return, and trusted his crew to take care of everything. Yeah, now the Asians are coming into the main distribution center. Bamboo Beer tries to get in, into the whole complex. So we meet uh, Professor Butcher, and asks from Bamboo whether she would like to study here. And we got back to the laboratory.
0: Yeah, the televangelist was kind of inserted into the film to, as a, as a comedic side character to bring some levity to kind of what happens in the, in the final act of the film. And it's kind of weird because... It, it, it is a bit weird. I'm, I'm kind of at two minds about the character or the fact that the humor is
1: not coming from anywhere from Bond directions. In this film, it's all coming from
0: around Bond. It's a change. Yeah, but most definitely a change. It's, it's kind of like the, like the whole world around Bond is having much more fun than Bond himself.
1: Yeah. Well, now Dario notices who is one of the guys with the Asians group, and it's James Bond.
0: Recognizes Bond from seeing him in, in the bar previously.
1: Yeah, extremely conveniently, Dario was not there when Bond was visiting Sanchez at the office, at
0: the at the casino. Yeah, what, what was the excuse that Dario was, at the time, was, was he retrieving the stingers or was he bringing the Sanchez's deal or the proposition? It's not explained in any way, but you could take it like
1: that because he returns to the film in the helicopter where they have the stingers, right? So.
0: Yeah. Uh, and if I remember correctly, make, does does Sanchez make the notion that that did you bring the missiles or something like that? It it sounds like
1: it's Sanchez who says that I brought the stingers mojito or whatever whatever he's saying. Okay, uh, but it's definitely not Dario speaking.
0: Okay, I I I mistook it to be Dario.
1: Yeah, it's a bit confusing.
0: All right. Yeah, the fight at the factory.
1: Bamboo gets the keys from the guy the creepster Wayne Newton, the fight at the lab.
0: Yeah, part, the, part throws chemicals at, at fire and everything co- caught fire from there and, and it's on now.
2: It was kind of a far-fetched fire, if you ask me. Really? Yeah, I think so. I, I don't think it could do that much damage.
1: It seems that there are people trying to use the fire extinguishers in the background, but I don't think it's... It's not working very well.
0: It, it, it's not working because the fire keeps spreading throughout the facility, which w- once again pushes everybody to evacuate the v- premises and take the dope and the missiles out of there.
1: Yeah, <clears throat> Benicio very, being very menacing, and uh, for some reason he has a obsession to put his hand on the mouth of Timothy Dalton. Well, who wouldn't want, though? Uh, anyway, Sanchez asks, who do you work for? It's a valid question because he's definitely not working for Majesty's government at this moment.
0: Yeah, Bond doesn't know that himself either at the moment.
1: <laughs> I'm working for the CIA.
0: Yeah, uh, you can kind of see the gears turning inside Bond's head also when he, he he's thinking, like, yeah, who am I working on exactly?
2: He's pretty much working for Felix and Della right now. Yeah.
0: Yeah, or 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 a, a, as a gadget beta tester for Q.
1: Now, of course, uh, Truman Lodge is trying to think about the budget here. He is the money expert and uh, tries to explain that this this facility cost a fortune, several millions of dollars, but Sanchez is like, I don't give a shit about this setup. There's four million or whatever in this tanker, and uh, now go help
0: Heller. Truman Lodge is, is kind of on like MGM. <laughs> 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 he he He's the physical manifestation of the production company here.
1: Yeah, I think it's time to cut some overhead.
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh my god, good reference. And Bond says that that's the last you've seen of your stinking stinger missiles. So the conveyor belt is dropping these brick cocaines into this giant shredder. No. Dalton got his... Huh? No, carry on. And Dalton cut his finger really bad <laughs> while Benicio was... Cutting the straps, he still has the scar from that. And uh, Benicio felt terrible about the situation. Cut to Heller's last moments alive. He's like, yo man, just wanted to check out the Stingys on safe, man. But uh, Sanchez doesn't buy that explanation. I remember once when this film was coming from MTV3, was it? In Finland. And uh, before the movie starts, you know, on MTV3, at least you used to have this where, you know, the host of the channel announces what is coming up next. And they had made, like, green screen arrangement. They had a still shot of, you know, the facility, the truck facility. The door was there where all the cars go out, I believe. And then the MTV3 host comes in for front of the green screen in front of that door. And he's like, next up, Dolan 007. Seuraavaksi jalkaa 07, joten somebody fires some shots at, at his direction, and he's avoiding those shots. Like, push you, And then he says the film name, 007 License to Kill, and something happens in this film. And he ends it, mut net täytyy mennä, oottakaa! And then there's a helicopter sound. So, I now gotta go, wait for me. That was kind of fun.
0: Sounds quite cringy. <laughs> to be <Extremely>. completely honest. <laughs>
1: Heller has reached the dead end, and that's the worst joke of the film by far.
0: It's also one of the few jokes that Bond makes.
1: Yeah, and doesn't really work.
0: Yeah, yeah, the the few jokes that 007 makes here, they are all terrible goofs.
1: (laughs) Truman Lodge is seen somewhere going like crazy. I don't know what the hell he's doing even outside. He's running around. Is he trying to escape Sanchez or what the fuck is going on? But anyway, Sanchez stops the car at his position, and then he says, like, you come with me. And he does with this kind of a confused smile. Cut to Professor Butcher, who loses his bag, or actually it was her bag full of money, and says, bless your heart. This is the kind of moment that a father enjoys, apparently if you go by the scientific data that I have collected from my own father regarding this. Bless your heart it's very funny. Time to laugh.
0: (laughs) Well, it is, in your dad's defense, it is quite funny moment. It is. Yeah,
1: we get the Rumorosa. This is uh, like a three-mile-long strip of road that the film production crew was able to use just for themselves because this was apparently too dangerous part of the road that was shut off. They had made a bypass to the road. And then John Glenn smiled and said, and, and we were able to use this dangerous bit.
0: <laughs> yeah, Yeah, that had been recorded. God knows how many accidents on, on this bit of the road.
1: It's a, a kind of a fascinating location now because of these several stories that they have uh, told f- from the crew. Like so many things went wrong in Rumorosa and many could not be explained. I don't know if these are very uh, unbelievable situations for some of them, but there were two tankers that were supposed to smash into each other side by side, like kind of lock into each other, right? And that happened to get somehow overdone, so the driver was pushing too much to the left, and it sent the other truck crashing against the solid rock wall, which you see in the film, actually. And if you look closely, the other truck next to him is stopping, so it went completely ballistic right there, for reals. But it looked so good, so they wrote the accident in into the film. Then there was one stunt who fell off, once from the top of a tanker in a steep curve, but he landed safely on a sand dune. And French driver, this uh, Rémy Julien, who has been in a bunch of Bond films, he saved his life when he lost the control of one truck. And when he lost it, he apparently got to the sleeping compartment of the truck and saved his life. He was not in the way of harm there. And John Richardson, from the special effects, he had prepared the rocket that that is used in the film. And... John Glenn had seen it demonstrated on Pinewood Studios. And then there was a guy fixing a pole, a telephone line, and he was severely hurt by the rocket. The problem only was that this guy was like two and a half miles away from where they were shooting. So uh, it's kind of uh, of amazing. I don't know what's the
0: the range of these things that they were shooting, but tough luck. Yeah, that the crew also reported seeing ghosts and ghostly apparitions
2: at the site.
0: People wandering on around the location and then vanishing into thin air when they have been approached.
1: Yeah, and also trucks mm-hmm. would mysteriously burst into flames in the middle of the night.
0: Yeah, so, something, uh, an apparition that also vanishes temporarily in the in the film is the any any sense of realism and the logic when one spawn starts to do the wheelies. With the
1: Unfortunately, truck? that's a stupid moment.
0: Oh really
2: that was that that's a really that
0: was the best one. Both both of them are, are stupid as hell. Bond does two wheelie stunts on on the final stretch and I hate them both. Really?
1: Yeah. No, I, I I like the one where he avoids the stinger missile, but I really don't it's... like when he's going through the fire because that's that's just not how trucks work.
0: Uh, no, I liked
3: it. Yeah, yeah, but... I mean
0: I I I hated them. I I hated them both from the bottom of my heart. Oh come on! I mean,
1: it's f- the the one with the two wheels, is great because it was actually done for real. There was one version where they had like the support mechanism for the other side of the truck, so they could film it like from the other side in that position. But the guy did it for real,
0: so. Uh... It 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 was done for real, yeah. They they used a French stunt driver who was able to pull it off. Yeah. C- granted. Yeah, I am I'm, I'm not saying that you can't do it since, since obviously they did it. I'm just saying that it doesn't fit the movie in my opinion. But we don't like, see like that that's why again that that's Bond pulling off of the m- magical car tricks out of his ass. Like at what point of 007 training did MI6 need it fit to teach Bond to do wheelies with a truck? <laughs> <laughs> like I, I know the guys can prepare for everything, but that's very specific ability to pull off. Well, that's what he
1: does through the entire franchise. Like, at one moment he is quote unquote some kind of a master of the Oriental languages because he took a course, and then in the next film he has forgotten all his language skills in Tomorrow Never Dies.
0: Yeah, and and he he knows how to defuse a nuclear missile, and God knows what else. Actually, but wasn't that wasn't that? Uh, it, well, that was he ha- does that at at least in in what, what was the oil line film.
1: The world is not enough, but the sh- he needs the physics expert, the lady, to do
0: all that stuff.
2: He can fly a spaceship. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah.
2: I also, pilot after the double O training. But again, he needs someone like Holly Goodhead to back him up. To,
0: to, to sit, sit next to him while he pilots
1: true but also we have to remember that James Bond is the star of the film so it's not always about the sexism or or just ignoring the other characters
0: no 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 but but there there is I I do actually enjoy a lot of license to kill because it's so grounded in reality like the, to me the one of the hardest parts to take in in James Bond as a character is, is the superhuman abilities that the character attains. In every given situation.
1: Then again, I guess you would also agree that this License to Kill plotline is not, like, extremely original. This kind of a revenge plot. And yeah. And it's a very 80s film. so it's It is? Really, yeah. But then again, it's not news in any way. Like, it's not like James Bond's have reinvented the wheel In at any point. They are just kind of recycling the, the things of those those days. Kind of staying current.
0: They are kind of recycling their own plots in many ways. Yeah. There's a villain who has Unexplained military behind him For reasons And he has a super weapon And decides to do things Quite often Tries to actually hold the entire world As a, a hostage u- Using laser Using the moon base u- Using missiles Using satellite Using uh-huh. your superhuman underwater base
1: Really, hey. Oh, where were we? Yeah, there were other accidents also in Rumorosa. Just a truck would suddenly start moving and nobody was in the controls. They also tried to investigate whether there was some something funky going on years before. And apparently there had been a minibus with about five nuns and the bus had gone sideways and burst into flames in that particular area where they were filming. And in that particular area, exactly, there were five, four or five more incidents according to one working on the film, on that same spot where the nuns had died. Also, I don't know, this might be more of a human error, I hope, but this is pretty weird. When Timothy was supposed to rush into the truck and drive off when the other the bad guys are shooting at him, they had completely made sure that the area was secure, and then somehow now another truck had got in the way, and Tim was barely, I guess, able to avoid the crash. But yeah... Truck driver gets some saving gel on his face. Okay, it's the fire extinguisher. Baddies throw him away from the windshield. The truck is crushed. Stinger is missed. This guy running away from the explosion looks like a Super Mario character. Crop dusting. And now Bond drops the tanker to the other tanker. And that's another 80 million dollar write-off. And it's time to start cutting some overhead. It's a good line. One of those funny lines again in a very serious situation though. Bond changes the truck, gets into Sanchez's truck. The car flies in flames (laughs) and the stinger is now used to the plane. But Sanchez misses partly. But uh, she has to crash land. Uh, That's not a problem in any way because a fully working truck uh, somehow is dropping from some direction for her. Now we get to the final Sanchez fight. And the tanker falls off because the driver has already left.
0: Yes, yeah, sensors cuts the brake line or the fuel fuel line for the brakes, a prompting the driver to uh, escape the vehicle since he can no longer slow it down.
1: You could have had everything. Don't you want to know why? And shows the lighter.
0: Sh- shows and the flamethrower to sensors.
1: Yeah, Felix flamethrower, and the banker goes boom. There were a lot of gasoline involved. Nine hundred. And 10 liters or 200
0: gallons. And apparently on this final explosion there there is some kind of a... There's a photograph taken from the explosion where you can see kind of this fiery arm stretching out from the the explosion itself. And when the camera crew was checking the actual film footage, they could no longer see that arm in anywhere.
1: Yeah, granted it can be very hard to spot, but it seemed to be... I mean, if this was supposed to be the Sanchez explosion, if you look at that photo, I think the landscape just doesn't even kind of match the the area. Uh, or then the fire should be way more below in the picture, in my view. Okay, it's kind of weird, but could
0: um, could very well be.
1: Yeah, but yeah, the, the it looked like a like a hand reaching from the skies from the ball of fire.
0: Yeah, landing in once again to the bunch of ghost stories that the production crew reported from filming on the location.
1: Yeah, I think uh, the YouTube channel Bedtime Stories could do something about this one. (laughs) But yeah, Wooster went through all these different angles that they have filmed the explosion from. There were four freaking cameras, and in none of them he could see the same thing. He went through it frame by frame, nothing. It's kind of creepy, though.
0: It 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 sounds kind of made up. To be completely honest. I don't know. Why would you make it up? To to make the entire shoot sound more epic than it was. I'm I'm not buying these ghost stories for a minute. I buy that uh, there was a lot of accidents
1: when they were filming. And I buy that some people were making jokes about some kind of a spirit being in controls. Or that this place is cursed and then it got a little bit out of control for some. maybe Maybe they really were thinking that.
0: I don't know. At the same time, them all buying into the idea that the place is cursed and the shoot is cursed. At the same time, it also could have lent them the possibility of not paying so much attention to the safety regulations. Because anytime anything goes wrong, well, it's not a human error. It's nobody's fault. It's just the place is cursed and we can't help it.
1: Yeah, true. I mean, they weren't exactly nice guys either when they were filming there because the delivery of the lunch to the mountain road was a little bit late so some of the crew went and knocked the food delivery car over the hill (laughs) yeah uh, Anthony Stark uh, reckoned that this will be quite hard to explain to the Mexican government yeah what the hell kind of a dickish thing to do then there's also uh, this scope moment In the living daylights, when James Bond destroys the truck that is blocking the road when the Russians are... When they leave the Bratislava, the militia is trying to stop Bond. Well, Bond blows up the truck with the few optional extras installed. There is this one, you know, scope on the screen with the red color, and it again repeats in this film, now in green color. (laughs) And the texts and the font have been changed, but otherwise it's the same. When Perez is trying to shoot Bond with the... Freaking Stinger-missile Carrie Lowell now comes with the truck And is li- Bond is like, yes sir And Felix Leiter is having A phone call with James Bond and everything is fine Hey, yeah, I'm already in good shape I just lost my leg, but
0: uh Having a good time here with the nurses Yeah, I want not war- walk ever again And my wife is dead, but The film is closing up So yes. I'm feeling positively
2: happy Did he really say he's having a good time With the nurses? N- no, <laughs> No,
0: no, he didn't say that. I'm like, yeah,
2: he, Your wife died a week ago, man.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but but then again, those nurses' uniforms. Mm-mm-mm.
1: Yeah, true, true. <laughs> well, it's a David Hedison effect. He's so easygoing that he's portraying that part in Felix Slider. Yeah, Lupe and Bond share, share a kiss, but it looks like, even though Lupe seems to have genuine emotions towards Bond, as we see in the I love James so much, and is kind of a virginish type of a character in here. Uh, even then, it seems at the end of the film that this girl is really just kind of a gold digger, isn't she? Or very desperate to have somebody, or both.
0: Yeah, I I don't know how much gold digging there is to be done with Bond,
1: James Bond. But there is a lot of gold digging to do with the president.
0: Yeah, that that was a weird comment from from Bond because there is actually no notion to be made, or is not even made in this scene. <laughs> That there would be anything between President and Lupe. Yeah. <laughs> that the, the two are. I ain't even looking at each other when, when Bond makes the remark. True. In that sense, it's bizarre. It's it, it, it's kind of a ham-fisted writing moment where Bond's refusal of woman is is kind of a framed as a no harm done situation because well, the lady will get now this President guy. And Bond can freely go after another woman. Who is crying at this moment? Who, who is crying at the moment? That was unnecessary.
1: A bit, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it would have been more in character, I think, if she would have just left a little bit disappointed or angry and gone to the pool.
0: It would have been more, more Bambouviere, the type of approach. All, all, altogether together, being so in love and so so fascinated by Bond. I, I think goes a bit against the character. Well, uh, Michael
1: Wilson was supposed to do like an actual face cameo at the end of the film as well. Uh, I think he was supposed to be upstairs, you know, looking at the pool like the rest of them, but it was cut. I think, enough Michael Wilson in this film. And then there is the winking fish.
2: Your thoughts? Stupid. Yeah, that's a nice touch. Yeah. Hmm. I've honestly not got anything bad to say about this film. I liked it so much. Uh, no, I was. It was actually my grandma's eightieth birthday party yesterday, and I. It was the first time I saw my brother in like four months, and I told him about this podcast, and he found it hilarious that I do this. Uh, yeah, oh yeah, so he's now listening to this. So oh great, we have one listener.
0: <laughs> so so we have to be extra careful with what we are going to edit out.
2: <laughs> he said, "What makes you such a James Bond expert, Tom?" <laughs> 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 yeah.
1: What is it? I don't know.
3: <laughs>
1: I think me and Tom have, like, a shared
2: history of watching James Bond films from a very early age, so... That is true. I have been watching James Bond since, like, age seven, I think. Mm. Yeah, it's like, if you
1: are a healthy person with reasonable wants and needs, then you will watch James Bond films every ten years, and that's it.
2: I watch Pierce Brosnan and Daniel Craig films quite often. Oh. Because they don't tend to show the older Bond films on on television that much, just Daniel Craig and Pierce Brosnan. Oh yeah.
0: Okay, because because in Finland, old Bond films is all they they are going to show you. Really? I I think it's the whole
1: franchise. Like they have Ooh. run all through all these films in different kinds of ways, like mixed order and then normal order from like in a yearly chronological order. It has been done so many times, so many times to death that. I understand why many Finns who actually watch television are kind of exhausted about these movies.
0: Yeah, because they, they 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 have like at least one rerun of the franchise every year, if not even two or three reruns in a year. Something like
2: that. They were just recently rerun, at least some of them. Have you seen the film Hot Fuzz? Yep. Uh, what did you make of uh, Timothy Dalton?
0: I wished he had been there more. Yeah, me too. He 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 was great. I I hope that he would have gotten more scenes.
1: Yeah. Any thoughts about the Patti LaBelle song at the end credits?
2: Uh, that was also really good.
1: Yeah, fitting for an ending song. I mean, I don't never listen to R&B really, but I think this is categorized as such, and I've tried to listen to other Patti LaBelle stuff, but I just can't get into it at all. But of course, I have also a special relationship with this song because it's here. Just to run quickly through the premiere and business, you know, Princess Diana and Prince Charles went to see the royal premiere and <laughs> there was a little bit of a scandal in the papers when Davi was scanning Princess Diana in pictures or in camera and the tabloids are going on about it like, what is this? why is this baddie looking with such of an eye at Diana? It was just that, according to his own explanation, he was married of course, according to his own explanation, he was just really kind of uh, shocked, scared in the situation and and I uh, didn't know what else to do then well there was this famous pra- person, Princess Diana, and she was kind of scanning her all the way through and apparently there was nothing suspicious going on there and the film was cut heavily, as we know, and uh in the u s it returned only thirty four point six million dollars, so the budget was thirty two so that was a really, really low uh performance in the u s but worldwide it was uh like high level success really, 156 million worldwide, so in that sense there is no problem. Was receiving generally positive reception, but uh, also criticism made about the very dark tone, and as mentioned, it was a tough year for American audiences, for sure. There was indie 3, Ghostbusters, uh, Batman, Little Weapon 2, all coming during the summer, and it, the film was not even in the top 20 crossers of the year, which is kind of shocking. Even Roger Ebert liked this film. 3.5 out of 4. Alright.
0: Right.
1: All what it be Henry leading us into the quickies, which are anything but.
0: Okay, so with the film out of out of the way, we, we, with the end credits rolling, with the final I'm mentioning that jewelry was provided by Sheila Codefinger for this film, which is kind of funny, and also explains why, why there is not that much jewelry. To be seen because oh. Godfinger stole it all. But <laughs> with that out of the way, I think it's 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 the longies, the long categories of this podcast. I I I guess we once again start in order. What was your guys' favorite performances?
1: Dalton all the way through. It could also be Robert Dobby actually. When I think about it, mm-hmm. both strong performances. Yeah, uh, probably the strongest performance of a buddy and a Bond in any film in the franchise. I'll go with Dalton. Yeah.
0: Okay, I'm I'm gonna give this one to Darby myself. Good call too. But basically, oh, uh, that the whole cast makes really strong performances here. And for for me, this kind of game in the end, it came a three-way between Del Toro, Dalton, and Darby. Hmm. I, I I liked all of them, and I I really felt that there was this this shared thread between the th- between the three they were all terrifying and and you co- could feel from each one of them that these people can do whatever they want. like they, they are kind of uncontrollable in that sense.
1: Also Talisa Soto's uh, performance gets a lot of complaints uh, online but I never had a problem with Lupe. I think she's doing a pretty good job
0: i I, I think so too. Uh, so, something, of course, which may explain so, some of the complaints, maybe that as a, as a character wise, in in the film, she, she is contrasted against Bambouvier, the other female lead of, of the film, and from the two of them, Pam is the more active, and Lupe is is the more more kind of air headed. More doesn't really do that much action-wise in the film as as Pam does. Lupe is more just there and just kind of a trying to talk to the guys, and that that might might be a reason why so many people appear to be against Alisa Soto's performance.
3: Mm.
1: There's a lot of layers to the character. Like on one end, she's kind of like the slave of Sanchez kind of being this hot property around him that he wants to keep at all costs, is in love with with her in some sense. And also wa- she wants to get out of this Sanchez's circles.
0: Yeah, and, and still doesn't exactly wanna leave where she is. Like, doesn't wanna go back to the poverty and back to home. Right, that's an
2: important point.
0: The next one would be favorite scene.
2: hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mm. I, I really love the wheelie
0: <laughs> Oh god, no, 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 no y- You think that one again, sir Uh No <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: For me, uh, I would go When the things go completely haywire At the laboratory When Bond makes the whole place burst into flames And action kicks yeah, in
0: I, I myself, I'm kind of a tired between the Sanchez assassination attempt when Bond tries to shoot the bastard and and with the factory truck factory scene where Bond is is lying on the conveyor belt and mm. things are really kind of intimidating at that mo- at the moment. You're gonna kiss my ass to kill you. Yeah, but both great scenes and I, I really liked how how in the conveyor belt Bond didn't have have his gadgets. And there, there was a lot of great camera work with the actors, like when, when De Toro is kind of a hunching over Bond and, and standing on the railings of the conveyor belt mm-hmm. and, and slowly cut, cutting the rubber ties of Bond to make him fall. All, all of that, all of that really
1: great stuff. Absolutely. And when it comes to gadgets, they are here, but they are also something that is moderately believable. Yeah. Well, in this film, he's just using the gun.
0: Yeah, yeah. There are gadgets. Q does introduce them, but they ain't actually being used that much.
3: Mm.
1: Nothing is done with the camera.
0: Yeah. And Bond doesn't have any kind of a laser watch this time, which I did feel that helped the movie a lot. Because the situations were more more terrifying now that you knew that Bond actually had to figure his way out of the situation by his own. And not relying any, any miraculous gadget to save his ass. Alright. But you guys can get your puns out and in the open because it's the favorite quote. Oh, Yep.
1: Right now I can't think of anything that specifically rises up from the rest. Like in what in ways of its message or something like that, being something very smart or quirky, but... Yeah, I know what you're gonna say. Really?
2: Yeah. <laughs> Honeymoon. Uh,
1: close, but uh, <laughs> but no Cuban cigar. Now this is still going to Dario when he's at the bar. Performance is so good here. <clears throat> like, La señorita Bouvier, don't I know you from somewhere? No. Oh, yes, I do. You used to fly charter planes for some friends of mine. I got a job for you. And nobody's asking you, Kringo. So, really strong performance. Hello, did I kill everybody?
0: Yep, you did. Oh. Uh, on my end, and this this one goes to That There's a really great moment. And, and this is this is my favorite because there, there is such of an insidious undertone here. When this is being said, like, you, you get the implications hidden in the line and they are all nasty and all terrifying. When Lajar tells Sanchez that he will see Sanchez in hell, Sanchez remarks, No, no, today is the first day of the rest of your life. No. And by God, you know what that means for poor Felix.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, good scene. Tom?
1: Don't worry,
2: we gave her a nice... Honeymoon. No, that's way too obvious. Uh, <laughs> uh, Farewell to Arms carried a lot of swag. <laughs> it,
0: it, it does. It does.
2: He drops that line and then he clips the guy around the face and runs off and dodges bullets. It's kind of badass. Got a Daniel Craig
1: moment right there.
2: Yeah. Um, I'll go with that one.
1: Yeah.
2: Okay.
0: So, So with the category where there is just only one. Obviously right answer But but you can give the wrong answers here if you want What was your favorite kills?
2: Ooh, okay <clears throat> Okay, I know what
1: you're thinking but uh, Let me uh-huh.
0: see the, the, the only only right answer To give to this question in today's episode is crest in that goddamn pressure chamber Having his head explode all over the premises And all over the money God damn it
2: being burned alive is quite nasty as well, though.
0: It, it, it's good, it's good. It's just not not, not as good.
1: Well, I, you have thrown a lot of kills to the table, but I think I will go with the Dario's death on the conveyor belt.
0: He he sure as hell did scream a lot when that happened.
1: He still screamed when there was only, like, what,
2: a head left of the guy?
0: Yeah, uh, you, you can believe that that must, must, must have hurt Dario. Mm-hmm.
2: As for me, I'm going to go with the the Hong Kong Secret Service cyanide death. Oh, wow. Because I that, know that's... this has found it in reality, because I'm actually reading a book on, on the Secret Service right now, and spies did indeed carry around a capsule of cyanide. So it, if they were caught, they would drink the cyanide so they wouldn't give up their secret. So Sure.
0: That, that, that is true. It, it also, in in many cases, saved them from being tortured horribly later on. Yeah. But from from the from the bloody deaths, we can cut back to Cory, who is going to ask us the random, confusing question.
1: Oh, really? So, what would you cook on the conveyor belt? What?
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> would you have like drugs rolling on it, or? Uh. I
0: I I would have a shark, a living shark, which is full of drugs. Oh <laughs> 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 It would be just you know shark after shark, or each one filled with drugs, you know, going down the conveyor belt. And if if DAA ever would show up, uh, I I would I could just happily look at them and be like, yeah yeah, you know, you you can start stick your hand in in the mouth of the shark and t- test if there is any cocaine in there.
2: <laughs> be my guest. <laughs> Good one, Tom. I'm thinking like a conveyor belt full of Daniel Craig's. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> Each one filled with drugs.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Or George Lazenby would be better. <laughs> <laughs> I can't be
0: the 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 bad thing that with w- with the person being Lazenby is that Lazenby shouldn't be alive at that point.
2: I still haven't gotten over your love for that film, Carrie. I'm still very angry about this. I can, <laughs> I can tell. <laughs> but, you know, that's not a bad idea if you had copies
1: of George Lazenby stuff with drugs and you could be some kind of a funeral service. The pain is still very real. <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> well, if we are objective here at the laboratory, as we always are, George Lazenby is still, I would say, the worst Bond actor of the bunch. For sure. Dalton is his own Bond, doing completely his own thing, not copying anything, just being his thing. Daniel Craig, the same. Brosnan, uh eh. Uh. George Lazenby kind of the suffers from the same problem. They're trying to be something else.
2: And don't forget, he was an asshole in real life as well. It was George Lesenby? True that. <laughs> fame can get into your head.
0: Well, well, with with the Lazenby it was it it was an attitude problem even before the fame.
1: Yeah. Uh, next
0: one. So the first image that comes to mind. What are you thinking right now?
2: Sanchez's iguana. <laughs> God
0: Goddamn. <laughs>
2: Is that still
0: yours? No, no, that, that came completely left field because I I'm actually thinking about later giving his legs to that shark. Oh.
2: I
1: was thinking about the tanker falling off the road with Sanchez and Bond.
0: Okay, so if, if what are you guys thinking? Did something pull you out of the film or um? At the moment of the ninjas,
1: I felt that. I have sometimes dropped off from the film at that mo- no moment.
2: Not because of the ninjas, but I don't know. I can't explain it. I genuinely love this film a lot. Um, I think the only objection to it would be it's, it's very, very low on humor. It's not mm-hmm. very funny. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the ninja was, like, really just quite frankly weird. hi yeah. Chup, and Yeah,
0: and, and then the one one ninja... ...pulls out an
2: entire net from his sleeve. And nowadays ninjas kind of look like... ...just kind of clownish and not very tough.
0: Yeah, ninjas have been way overused
2: in, in films. Albert brocklet is a big fan of ninjas, it it seems.
0: I, I, I guess mo- mostly because ninjas are always cheap. He's a fan
2: of science facts. In Moonraker... <laughs> ...Moonraker ninja. True. You only live twice. Lots of ninjas...
3: <laughs> yeah,
0: there, there are quite a lot of ninjas in, in Bone franchise, now that you actually mentioned it
1: The man with the golden gun? Yeah I don't know if they're ninjas, but they are martial arts experts
0: Yeah, it, 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 it's, a, it's once again some kind of a fucking kung fu club or something like that yeah.
1: That's what you call a Mexican screw-up gentleman I still don't know what that line means When he's escaping from that facility, from those perimeters
0: I I don't even remember that moment.
1: He's he's he has gotten on the boat, and behind him is coming like a three thousand kung fu people following him, and then he catches the motor of the boat and is pointing it towards all, the, all these people and says that that's what you call a Mexican screw up, gentlemen.
0: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now, now that you describe it, it really sounds weird.
2: It may not be the ninjas. It may just be an Oriental thing because um, Odd Job was from from Korea as well. Yeah. Yeah. Who wasn't a Kung Fu guy, obviously, but um, it just seems that the villain tends tends to be from Asia quite a lot, or the henchman, or kind of the assistant hen- henchman, should, should I say.
1: All right.
0: Yeah. Next. So what 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 put you guys in? Uh,
1: Well, I, uh, my first thought was Dario, it seems, so there you go. <laughs> he can pull me off. I'm just joking. <laughs> well, the realism, somewhat down-to-earth film. That it's different, it's taking risks in the franchise. I don't think all people kind of understand that, actually, from Timothy Dalton's run. I think many people are thinking that, okay, he's just being serious in these films because he just doesn't know how James Bond should be, or what it's about, that they have miscast him in the role. But no, 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 I can believe that's totally a casual watcher's idea, that after Roger Moore you come to this guy. But no, it. of course, we're doing films here and it's totally, everything is planned to the T. So, of course, it's meant to be there. Because that's what James Bond is in the books, in a way.
0: Yeah, if if I would have to mention, like, one scene where where I first really got glued with the film, it, it would once again be Felix or being fed to the shark. Mm. Next would be Scissors of Sacrilege. What would you cut out of the film or change?
2: Hmm... Mm. That
0: is tough. I, on my I would, end, would, could go without the ninjas and without oh, the
2: wheelies. You stole my answer. I would go
1: without the wheelies through the fireball. And I would go without the... I would rework the joke about Heller, the dead end. Or just remove it.
0: I I, I don't know. To, to, to me, the Heller joke, kind of, kind of a toad... I, I read a lot into that joke. In the way of how dark Blaze Bond. Is character wise. Yeah, okay. Like, I, I took it that, that Bond, the character, knows that this is the moment where I I make a funny joke, but he's so far over the edge and he's so, so angry still that the only joke he manages is a complete, complete failure.
2: I would also take out the ninja because it, it just doesn't work for me. Yeah. It's a kind of a weird, uh,
1: I, I don't know, subplot, but uh, it's a weird moment in the film.
0: Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm, I on my end, I am fine with the subplot of, of the of the Chinese DEA, but the guys being ninjas, they, they like the, the ninjas just appear all of a sudden into the film, which has been relatively realistic up until that point, mm. and and they also quickly vanish after that moment. The ninjas appear, cut, cut to the warehouse or or whatever it is, the shack where they are holding Bond, and then they all get taken out. But with 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 the notion of taking out, you guys can take out the the finishing statement of the sentence. You really know you're watching the license to kill when when James Bond stops smiling. When you realize it's 007 and license to spank.
2: Hmm. When you kiss the bride. And nothing happens to you.
0: <laughs> okay. I, I don't know if you can kiss the pride in Finland. You can. And get into a huge trouble. I, I know, but, you know, w- without anything bad happening to you, three adjectives to describe the film.
1: pretty, dark, and dangerous. Now I got it there.
2: <laughs> I will say charged, neurotic, violent. Mm-hmm.
0: I, I, I'm gonna steal something from both of you. Violent from... Home and dark from curry and as as my own i will insert progressive oh god damn I, i'm hitting all the marks today did you say progressive yep huh. because because to me this this most definitely was that
1: you mean politically I, I, speaking or
0: uh i i mean like like in many ways uh progressive in in the way how it approaches the franchise the, the dark edges, the, the violence, the more realistic storyline, the more realistic bad guy. But uh, also with with how, how it approaches the ladies. Like, like with, with the fact that, that at the very end of the film, it's Bond who has to jump after the lady from the balcony. And not the other way around like you see in basically every any other film. Or, or the fact that neither one of the ladies will just take the typical Bond shit from Bond this time. Like, they actually, both of them, stay, they stand their ground. And yeah. and Bouvier even goes as far as they're born to, you know, give his trap shot and take his shit back home. So, mm. like, like, none of them are any major events in the film. The film doesn't call, may, make a fuss about that. It won't call your attention to what is happening. But what is actually happening is, is franchise-wise, it, it is quite remarkable.
1: It is also the film where Bond is not pushing the ladies it's more like Loopy is pushing Bond to the bed.
0: Yeah, that also. And and I like, like like said, all of them are extremely minor details and something that are not in your face, but I I you know, I I loved all of those moments. It it to to me it, it kind of a stripped Bond some of that that übermensch superman extreme spy image which i've which always has been kind of a hiccup for me because i i like my heroes more when they are being pushed i i like bond more at the end of this film when he's he's like barely able to stand up when he rises from the wreckage and he's he's bruised and he's bleeding yeah. and and sanchez has the machete on his throat like there and bond is almost helpless except then he manages to pull that lighter out of his pocket and torches the fucker. But I I really like that. I like when when my hero when the hero has to push himself through pain and agony, both physical and emotional. That that's 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 one of the reasons why why I feel that, for example, Die Hard films past Die Hard three have been in a downward spiral because John McLean just doesn't get hit enough anymore.
1: True. Hmm, true. And they are missing the essence in so many ways. Like, of course, putting him into some kind of a daddy position where he's just kind of overlooking what is happening and not taking as much, maybe, part in the ac- action. He's kind of a, just a granddad in the corner.
0: Yeah, yeah. In, in, in Die Hard 5, he's just kind of there. Mm. You know, like, goddamn, God even McLean's son is driving the action more than McLean himself in Die Hard 5.
1: hmm uh, there's many things that they fuck up in the sequels. Would be interesting to analyze someday.
0: But at, 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 for, for now you can analyze the question did you watch, watch when watching this one? Nope. Nope. Nope also here. And as a closing up, would you recommend this film? Yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, on my end, let, let me put it this way. There are people who don't like License to Kill, who who think it's, it's a bad, bad Bond film. And mistreats the character, and in my opinion, those people can go to hell. Yeah. <laughs> because I most definitely, absolutely love License to Kill. I actually like this more than Daylights, and I like the Daylights a hell of a lot. Okay. I, I I I yeah. I I'm full on board, board with with this one. Like to to me, this is better. I I like the darker tone. I I, I this is darker. This is this is more the, the women are hotter the film is darker it has more realistic narrative is it has more horrible violence it, it has a less Felix Lighter being able to walk like all, all around all around I, I think this this is like a standout in in the franchise like definitely mm-hmm. one of my go-to Bond films which I would wholeheartedly recommend to everyone uh, the
1: thing is I feel that the while the locations are sometimes very fancy, I feel that maybe the locations, then again, in some parts of the film, are not impressive enough to look very interesting on screen. And on previous Bond episode, I said that this sometimes kind of feels like some kind of a TV series episode. I don't know about that, but uh, some of the locations are not that inspiring. Maybe they are kind of realistic in that sense. I'm just saying that this doesn't look anywhere near as pretty as the Living Daylights, and neither does Bond, who looks like a angry iguana.
3: <laughs> um,
1: uh, the DP is the same as in the Living Daylights. Yeah, I just feel that the locations are not ki- giving enough room to make as grandiose images, and, but I, I guess that's okay. But I don't get uh, such of a big of a you know emotional feeling about some of these scenes in 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 that you know how the in the way that they look. But the dialogue is better in the film, it's more suitable for Timothy Dalton's James Bond. And also I feel that this has taken an extremely dark twist here, which kind of makes me miss some of the the Living Daylight's Timothy Dalton performance, where he was more, more smiles and all that. And I understand that, you can't really have that in this film that much. And that's why I'm a little bit sad that Dalton didn't get to do at least the third film, where he could have been, you know... In a different emotional circumstances, yeah, because this guy is a bloody good actor.
0: He's, is, he's, is, and it, it's a shame that that his his time with the franchise ends here at it's, at license uh, with only just two films. He he was given the chance to come to code and I, yeah, but, but the world had changed around Dalton so much that when when Dalton was okay, with, with doing another porn film. Now he would have had to agree to do at least five. Like he would have had to agree to take the franchise deal this time. And that was too much for Dalton, who didn't trust himself, I guess, enough to sign for five more Bond films.
1: Yeah, I don't know if actors of his caliber are generally interested in going so long with the franchise. But I guess that's something that you have to expect with James Bond. Then again, if this is really true... I have heard this true. also. If this is really tr- true, that Cubby Broccoli came kind of a ultimatum situation, you, that, uh, take this offer. We, no, 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 you're not going to leave after or do only one film for us, because it's been such of a break. You need to do more. Much more, in fact. And, in a sense, I can understand why he turned it down. It had been a long time, still, like, five years. And then again, Daniel Craig has, like, five, f- five year breaks all the time. But, yeah... Uh, He could have done more. Much more. Way more. And Bond team ignored the studio finance issues anyway, and they carried on penning the third Dalton film. Michael Wilson was, according to rumors, was writing with Alphonse Gruggiero Jr., writing a 17-page treatment. And John Glenn was thinking that the next film will probably be called Risico. Rizigo, which is one of once again one of those short stories from For Your Eyes Only. And Rachero had been writing for Miami Vice and Airwolf, so some fans were kind of concerned about that fact. They were considering China, Scotland, London, Hong Kong, Japan as uh, possible locations. One version, at least, at least this treatment, it would have taken place in a secret chemical weapons factory in Scotland. And a bomb squad uh, was called in... One scene, and they couldn't find the bomb. And then they leave. And now the factory machines go berserk. They start to malfunction, causing the whole factory to explode. Bond goes to investigate, and then has a face-off with Sir Henry Lee Ching. Quote, a brilliant, handsome 30-year-old British-Chinese entrepreneur. And the plot there is to release a virus to completely shut down military and industrial and nuclear sites all over the world. So something like Goldeneye, really. And uh, Bond penetrates uh, Ching's headquarters in Hong Kong via some kind of sewer system. And uh, at the end, he kills Ching with a blowtorch. <laughs> uh, there was also something about Brock reportedly trying to entertain the idea of having Hugh and Gloria cats uh, as the polishers of the scre- of the treatment into a screenplay. Uh, these were working on the Indiana Chosen Temple of Doom, and in 1993 93 May, Variety reported that Michael Franz from Cliffhanger was the guy signed on to do the next Bond film writing for $400,000. After that, uh, the third Bond film for what was supposed to be a Dalton Bond film was pushed heavily into serious motion. Michael Franz delivered the first script draft in January ninety-four. I think it was called GoldenEye already back then and Pushkin was supposed to make a comeback in the film in very significant scenes but the thing is that Dalton's ex- contract expired in 93 and he decided to move on and as we know Dalton is kind of a private person so i don't think there's much uh, information about the circumstances of why really but yeah Dalton was working on Scarlet uh, the sequel to Gone with the Wind with the Clark Gable and from that set of Scarlet film. Dalton announced on April 12th on, on 1994 that he would not return as James Bond. Eon did make a press release about that fact and said quote, we have never thought of anyone but Timothy as the star of the 17 James Bond film, but the James Bond gods had something different in mind. And a few months later Eon of course announced Pierce Brosnan as the next James Bond. And as we know, he was already uh, signed to do The Living Daylights, but then uh, things happened, and uh, Dalton thankfully was able to do too.
0: But with that out of the way, I guess that wraps around today's episode, and that wraps around the Timothy Dalton-born era. So the next one, as as you already foreshadowed, the ne- ne- next one we are going to check up would be Pierce Brosnan's run with the character.
1: And a lot of things happened between the five, six years. This is kind of an end of an era, as I see. The end of an era of the classic James Bond films. Uh, I think stylistically and in the fact that, of course, copy Broccoli, the original co-producer, died in June '96, and Maurice Binder died, the title designer, in '91. Michael Wilson, Barbara Broccoli are taking over as the producers from their father now. Kind of a nepotism going on throughout this. Bond family thing, but that's okay. We're not running a country anyway. But yeah, Gabi was Gabi said to Barbara and I think Wilson that don't screw it up. Speaking of the film franchise. And it remains to be seen, dear listeners, if they did. So if you want to find out you can hear about that much more in the... I'm sorry. During the last Thursday of December, when we touch on Goldeneye. But of course we'll release an episode weekly, so fear not, we'll be back next week. So you can find us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, YouTube. Anything else or should I put my lab coat uh, into the chopping machine?
0: Well, I, I for one, I'm heading outside of the lab to find some Mexican truck cartels to spank. So Wait for me. <laughs> and we can leave Tom here <laughs> to stay to get, uh, alone to keep the lights on. Tom's lab. <laughs> Tom's lab. <laughs> But yeah, hey, uh, until next week, everyone. And most definitely our listeners.
2: Hmm. Cheerios. Our oh, one listen to my brother.
0: Yeah, hey, hey, shout- shout out to Tom's brother. Nice nice to have you listening to this uh, this podcast.
1: <laughs> yeah, thanks for listening.
0: Yeah. Uh, You're a cool guy.
3: Tom is in danger! Henrik is no fool! He's checking up on him. You know, they're finding it suspicious! Listen, it's alright! Tom is
1: safely in England! They do the episodes remotely!
3: You don't understand! Last night I stood with Tom!
1: <sighs> At Henrik's house?
3: See! Henrik is going to the UK! With a big gun! He leaves in an hour! You he must help Tom! If anything happens to him, I don't know what I'll do. You know, I love the Flicklap so much.
1: <sighs> Look, you must go before you are missed. Now don't worry. Henrik probably just wants to share his notes with Tom personally, he's so dedicated. But we'll think of something.
3: I love the Flicklap so much. I'll be damned if I'll help them.
1: Look, don't judge them too harshly my dear, podcasters must often use every means at their disposal to achieve their episodes.
3: Bullshit!